Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair for joining us today on Thought Adventure Podcast. And we're going to be discussing today um, a very important topic, actually. The topic is of the problem of evil. Alhamdulillah, we have uh, Jake, the Muslim metaphysician. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Uh, we've also got Abdurrahman somewhere. Maybe he's changing the nappies. We're not sure. <laughs> but subhanAllah, he's been very busy last week or so since the birth of his child. So he, he might Mashallah. struggle to come on, but he might come on later on, inshallah. Yusuf is also uh, struggling to come on because he's actually at Speaker's Corner at the moment. <laughs> so he's with some of the brothers there, Ben, uh, Jordan, Hamza from Hamza's Den. So he's with them. So uh, if he can come on, inshallah, he'll be on shortly soon. But I think he's also doing some filming out there as well. So uh, hopefully, inshallah, he's uh, safe there and uh, it's productive, inshallah. But also we have our special guest, mashallah, brother, Dr. Safruk Chowdhury, a good friend of mine uh, that we went to university together, didn't we? Uh, so, alaikum. Jake. Um, it's great to be on, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah. Fantastic show. May Allah give it success. And please, if our listeners, viewers, please support it. Support it. Um, Let me just give a li- little way of introduction. And I'm sure uh, uh, Dr. Safrook could uh, correct me uh, if I've missed any of the details out, which I- I'm going to miss the details out, yeah. But uh, 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 Saf, he uh, studied at King's College London, he, where he did his philosophy degree. Uh, that's where we met. Uh, and then uh, he went on to do an MA, I think, in Islamic studies, uh, then a PhD in Islamic studies. He studied Arabic uh, and he, he received various Islamic ijazat uh, with the shiuch at Al-Azhar University, amongst other scholars as well. So he studied that. He came back to the UK uh, and he was a lecturer in Arabic, Islamic studies and philosophy, from my understanding. And he was lecturing at some of the well-known prestigious universities uh, in the UK, including uh, SOAS and Birkbeck College, which are, you know, people who know uh, London and University of London know that these are considered some of the, you know, well-known, well-established institutes within these uh, areas. But not only that, but Brother Saf has also written a number of books, a number of works, uh, one of which was actually the Islamic response to the problem of evil. He's written other works as well in terms of, uh, you did a book on Ilm al-Balagha as well, didn't you? Uh, uh, as well, so that's uh, knowledge of rhetoric and it's in, in its relationship to the Qur'an and the marjas of the Qur'an. Um and you've, uh, you, I think you've gone around, you've presented papers across the country and the world. Isn't that right, sir? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. So, mashallah, Saf, although he looks very young, mashallah, has, uh, has done lots of studying. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're very pleased to, to have him today on Thought Adventure Podcast. And inshallah, hopefully he'll come on uh, often as well, hopefully, inshallah. Uh, so also Abdurrahman has joined us. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Saf. Alhamdulillah, I'm good. Thank you. Jazakallah khair. Thank you for joining us. Jazakallah khair. Yeah, so today's topic, inshallah, is going to be on the problem of evil. Now, the problem of evil is one of those uh, 
questions that are constantly asked by atheists in one form or another. Even theists will ask this particular question. And it's one of those questions that is promoted as a question that demonstrates a logical contradiction within the nature of God. So it's something that demonstrates the impossibility that a, a, a creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, God exists. And so it, it demonstrates an argument in order to demonstrate the impossibility of the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And therefore it requires a response from those who propose belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Theistic God. It, it, it gives us uh, or it obliges us to be able to provide some sort of response uh, to this. So maybe first question to, uh, to Brother Saf as well is, uh, you know, mine was just a very brief introduction. Uh, maybe you can maybe explain a little bit more in terms of what is this problem of evil? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa mawala, bishahri sadri wa yisirli amri, wa halul uqtatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. Again, jazakallah khairan brothers for having me on, um, it's a pleasure and honour um to be amongst you guys this evening um it is a very difficult topic uh, the problem of evil i mean in the interest of time of course uh, to, to try and be brief yeah the problem of evil is sort of in terms of contemporary philosophy of religion is considered to be like a family of arguments that purport to demonstrate how evil or two things: whether how the how evil uh, and the existence of an omnicompetent God, i.e., an omnipotent, omniscient, omnibenevolent, i.e., powerful, all-knowing, and wholly good uh, being, that kind of being, and the existence of evil is either impossible, as you mentioned, or um, it's it's not likely that that kind of omnicompetent being. Um, its existence is, is compatible with evil. So there's the strong claim that it's impossible, i.e. evil and the existence of God are incompatible, or um, the evil raises an objection in belief in that kind of being. So, yes, as you rightly mentioned, um, the problem of evil can become an argument trying that tries to demonstrate that the existence of God is impossible given evil, or that um, the existence of evil and a belief in a particular type of creator or ultimate source of all reality, that kind of existence of that kind of being and, and evil are, are, you know, are inconsistent. So this is where, you know, you get, you know, to, so I guess this is what might be important. So what the problem of evil is trying to do effectively is, Either it's, do, it's either trying to what we call problematize your belief, and in, in epistemology, in epistemology, we call those defeaters. So, the problem of evil is either doing trying to def, act as a defeater in two ways. So, one, we would say the problem of evil, as I've just sort of outlined it, a family of arguments attempting to either demonstrate. Um, that the existence of God and evil is logically impossible, i.e. the two cannot be compatible in any way, or 
God defined a certain way, whether he's omnicompetent or some other way, powerful, loving, caring, um, wise, um, knowing, and so on. Um, that kind of being is incompatible with existence. It's, prob it's highly probable that that kind of being and the existence of evil are incompatible. Now, what the problem of evil tries to do then is either tries to defeat or raise objections in two ways. Either it, it does it through what's known as a rebutting defeater. What that means is that a, a rebutting defeater directly attacks your claim or belief you might have or one of your conclusions. So um, a, re a, re a rebutting defeater goes straight to the heart of your claim. So if you believe that God is, I don't know, omnicompetent, i.e. he's omniscient, omnipotent and, and omnibenevolent, then a rebutting defeater will be will come in the form of an argument or an evidence to undermine that directly. So you, you're trying to take the claim from under its feet. Different to that, so the problem of evil could act as a rebutting defeater, or the problem of evil could act as a what we call an undercutting or undermining defeater. And what this kind of defeater does is it attacks the evidence you may offer in support of a claim or a belief. So if you believe in God and then let's say you, you use like a contingency argument to prove the existence of God or you use, I don't know, you give a, a design argument or a, or a Kalam cosmological argument, let's say, for the existence of God, then if someone tries to if someone tries to challenge your argument and prove that it is inadequate, i.e. the belief in God that you have that rests on an argument, i.e. a cosmological argument, it's not adequately supported by the evidence, this will be an undercutting or undermining defeater, i.e. it's targeting your justification for your belief. So the problem of evil can, can take two um, uh, sort of lines of attack. It could either try and defeat your your belief directly by being a rebutting defeater, or it could take the undermining or undercutting defeater route and try and bring doubt in your justification for believing in God. So I think those two are important to mention. Okay, Jazakallah Khair. Um, before we go into the specific question I was going to ask, which is what is the actual logical presentation of the argument? Yeah, yeah. One thing I just thought uh, to raise is that what I tend to find when regards to atheists is that they try to go to God and demonstrate some sort of incompatibility, yeah. Yeah. incorrectness regards to yeah. that. Whereas what we try to do is we try to go from contingent things and build the argument up. So we go from what is known and then look at the logical entailments to that. Whereas what they're trying to do is they're trying to go straight to the, you know, the idea of God. And I think one of the problems is, is that there's a lot of hidden assumptions that they're bringing a lot of baggages that they're bringing into their conceptions about god about the nature of good about the nature of evil in order to then say it's incorrect and i think the better way before going to the nature of god is to go to things which we know and build the argument uh regards to that yeah i think yeah so the point that i was going to mention later but you know you mentioned it now was then how you tackle theological questions or problems like the problem of evil it depends on whether as you mentioned you take a top-down approach or bottom-up approach a top-down approach is you start with some kind of theoretic theoretical postulation about let's say god um so you know you you, you rationally postulate um 
that you know that how you're going to understand God when it comes to this issue, and then you try and work your way down. Or uh, the other way is bottom up. You're trying to work from um, uh, reality and then trying to come to some kind of conclusion. But ultimately, though, what you're going to find is, I think anyway, is a lot of the arguments are going to require what you understand from scripture. I, in our case, of Quran and Hadith, because matters about the divine matters about divine motives divine actions are best known by how the creator himself reveals his own motives and actions can you see so that element is important so you know so and i think this is why the the problem of evil disentangling it is so difficult because it's so it's stitched with so many assumptions as you mentioned presupposition so many um sort of uh, ideas and 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 whether these ideas are taken from philosophical literature, theological literature, or from, from revelation itself. So all this is stitched together in the problem, you see. So some of it has to be disentangled, as we, inshallah, we might come to see when we look at how some people object, using the problem of evil to object about certain aspects about the divine. Well, that objection will only be valid given certain assumptions you have about God. Can you see? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. And the question then arises, yeah, where you get these assumptions from. So... <clears throat> you mentioned that there's two types of presentations yeah. to the argument. There's a logical one, there's an evidentialist yes. one. Yeah. Um, so what's the logical presentation of the argument? Right. So generally, the uh, in, in the literature, so I'm just sticking with the contemporary literature. Um, so you will find in, in, in the literature two uh, types of arguments uh, when it comes to the problem of evil so one is often called the logical or the formal problem of evil and what this says is and what this states is that if you take god defined a certain way so as i mentioned that omnicompetent being if you define god to be that way and there is evil um the two are incompatible not only are they incompatible they cannot be there's no way you can harmonize that so if you take the statement god is omnicompetent there is evil um the two the conclusion is there is no god so the two statements are logically incompatible i.e there's no way to ensure that the two statements are consistent so that's the logical problem or the formal problem of evil you state it in uh premises in an argument or you state it in, in a proposition, and then you show how the two propositions in the argument or statements are inconsistent or they're a contradiction. You cannot have both God being omnicompetent and there being evil in the world. The two cannot be reconciled. So that's the logical or the formal problem of evil. It tries to demonstrate that existence of God and evil are just not logically compatible. And so um that kind of argument is a rebutting defeater it's going it's attacking the, the belief or the claim that god exists so our so one's object of belief that god exists that's directly being attacked okay. and the other the other formulation you find in the literature is what's known as the evidentialist problem of evil or the um, probabilistic problem of evil it has different terms in the literature and what this says is less of an ambitious claim. What the evidentialist 
problem of evil states is that okay the existence of of an omnicompetent god and evil may not be logically inconsistent or lo logically impossible i.e the statements are not logically incompatible but but the kind of being that a let's say a muslim or a theist generally believes in that kind of being given the types of evil we have in the world um makes the existence of that kind of being highly improbable or you okay. should at least yeah or you should at least relinquish your belief about that that omnicompetent god so that belief you have about god and the existence of evil are income are it's highly likely that the two are not compatible okay um so let me bring in abdul actually in terms of his thoughts really briefly uh about this <clears throat> this idea of uh, the logical problem and the evidentialist mm. problem or evidential problem what what are, what are your thoughts yeah um, yeah so so i lost connection for a while so i, I didn't hear everything but uh yeah so so in in my view i i think most philosophers generally agree that the the logical problem has been somewhat defeated by by planting as free will defense uh uh, and uh, and and I think the the evidential problem of evil is uh, a serious cha challenge that we should take seriously, uh, and and it's it's more of a challenge because it makes a more modest claim, as as Dr. Sapp just put it, that it's just not likely that such a being exists, provided uh, the existence of evil. So I, I think the evidential problem is one that uh, that that is quite challenging and should be taken seriously. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, even from from you know, one of the great you know William Rowe, for example, and you know acknowledged, you know, several decades ago, after Plantinga's uh, free will defense, that you know the logical problem of evil is you know there is no way to show that it's logically impossible that God exists and evil exists. The reason being. Is because the contradiction is not apparent. It's not evident that you have ex you have an evil and then you believe in omnicompetent God. It's not quite clear how the two statements are contradictory. So what the argument relied on was assumptions about this omnicompetent being. So the atheist interlocutor or the atheist objector had assumptions about omnipotence and the goodness of God you know, built into the argument that had to be teased out. So, for example, one of the assumptions was if God is, you know, absolutely powerful, then he can prevent any and all evils. Um, so surely he can prevent all evils, right? He's, you know, the omnicompetent being. But not necessarily, because all you had to now show was um, that because you framed it in a logical way, all you had to show was it was logically possible for um, to show that, you know, you had, to, you had to just show that there's a possibility that, um, you know, the evil, there, there's some ambiguity in God's prevention of evil. He may, you know, if people act freely, for example, if free will is involved, that inevitably some ambiguity will follow. It doesn't follow that God can prevent the evil. Um, so, you know, all you had to show was minimally it's something is logically possible for the argument to fall down. And so the other assumption was about divine goodness and, and, and 
benevolence, i.e. surely the assumption goes, surely God would want to remove all evil. Yes, you know, maybe he, you know, he he would he does want God does want to remove all evil, but it may necessarily be the case that he may permit it for some other reason, for some other greater good or some God justifying reason. So all the all the the theist had to show was it's logically compatible um, that evil exists with God by rebutting these assumptions. And so the argument ultimately fell fell because it was trying to be too ambitious. It just you cannot show it's logically impossible that evil and good God exist because I, there can be some possible circumstance in which you can harmonize the statements. So, so for my, for my understanding, uh, what the atheists or what certain philosophers are trying to present is they're trying to say, uh, you know, an all good, uh, all powerful God means that you entails, can't have evil. Yeah, yeah entails uh, uh, that the there would be no it. evil. Yeah. 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 If evil exists, then that all good, all powerful God cannot exist. Yeah, that's right. Now, all a uh, you know a theist has to do is give a possible ex uh, explanation. A possible explanation doesn't mean it's the true explanation. It just means it's an explanation to get away. It's like a, you're giving a story. Yeah, yeah I think that's it what doesn't Alvin have to be self-contradictory. Yeah, because yeah. you're using the realm of logic um, because logical possibility is a wider scope. So you you only have to show that something isn't self-contradictory in your counter example to show that it's not logically impossible that's all yeah. you have to show because uh, because once you bring a counter example the logical impossibility fails right 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 yeah, yeah. yeah so even if it's not the true state of affairs no it, it may it, not it, actually be true at all it may, it yeah. may even be implausible yeah um yeah yeah but, as long but as it just has to be logically possible. There That's just right. has to be an explanation. That's right. And so, right. so what you're saying, Saf, then, is that, well, the philosophers are generally, is it a case that they're generally in agreement that the logical uh, problem of evil isn't yeah. really a, a, yeah. a real logical problem anymore? Yeah, there was some pushback to Plantinga's argument a couple of, couple of years ago, but it still stands because it's too, it's too strong a claim i.e. how can you show that there are no counter instances? Logically, how can you show there are no counter instances? You mm. can't show that. It's just, so it was too, it was too strong. The claim, the, the logical problem of evil, the claim was too strong. Okay. Yeah, so, can I, can, so can go, I yeah, make yeah. a comment on this? Yeah, so I think this is very important to point out, um, as Saf explained, that, the argument, the, the logical problem had a lot of assumptions built in it. And depending on who the person is, maybe yeah, some of the yeah. assumptions may be slightly different. But I think yeah. when we engage with atheists or, or skeptics and people like this, when, when they raise this issue, we need to ask them questions to sort of tease out what those fundamental assumptions are because a lot of times they don't make it so clear themselves and so we need to ask questions to try to tease out what those underlying assumptions are that are sort of the grounding for part of their argument that they don't make explicit and i think that many times when we do that what's going to happen is some of those assumptions are questionable themselves and then we can sort of pick out which ones we, we think are questionable and, and go from there. So I think that is a very important point. So maybe just focus on the, the logical problem. So 
obviously you guys are saying yeah it's been defeated or there's a there's a counter argument and they can't demonstrate it's clearly a logical impossibility so what what examples could you give to the audience in order to help them how to say okay this is this is one key example we can give in order to demonstrate that this logical problem is not really a logical problem or what assumptions are atheists themselves making well, again, one of the, the, the main assumptions is about divine goodness. Um, he, the assumption is that if God, you know, is, is all loving, but he, he would want to remove all evil. I, there shouldn't be any evil if he's omnibenevolent. Sure, you know, um, and, and so, they, so they say, surely God wouldn't want to permit or will there to be bad states of affairs, right? Surely, you know, he wouldn't want that if he's omnibenevolent. Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. When you make that claim, you're saying that God must have no reasons for, for permitting bad states of affairs. Now, how do you prove that? How do you prove that there cannot be any reason at all for God wanting to permit evil? That's just, that claim is just too fantastic. Can you see? So that, so, so that could be a manoeuvre maneuver to make why assume if that is your assumption of course as jake mentioned you know you may differ with certain people but but one of the main assumptions is god will want to remove all evils because there shouldn't be any evil if you have a benevolent being that's the claim but because you do have evil there can't be a, a benevolent being and if there can't be a benevolent being then you just re relinquish one of the core attributes of god so you know you can't you can't have you can't have it both ways but, so it seems yeah. to me, Seth, what you're saying is that there's two sort of angles to this. One angle is to say that you're trying to presuppose what you think would be God's goodness and then superimposing that upon God. So that's one problem. For and sure. the second that's, problem, that's assumption, isn't it? Yeah. And the second problem is, is that to assume that suffering or evil is in and of itself at that moment a totality of evil. Yeah, maybe there's a reason to have a small amount of suffering in the grand scheme of, of the creator to allow oh. greater good. So, for example, you know, people give these types of examples like, you know, you go to the doctor, you get a medicine, you know, you, you know, you might take it. It might make you feel a bit ill while you're taking because you suffer from the side effects. But the greater good in that context would be curing of the disease. So those yeah. are the two types of assumptions that people and are bringing because forward. Because it's a logical argument, all you have to show is that particular counter instance is something possible. Yeah, yeah, and and so and then once you once you've established that, then you can't really establish that as a logical contradiction That's because right. you have a, a way out to give a possible right. explanation. Right. So is it, so this is so in terms of um, then the evidential argument against mm. uh, or the problem of evil. How does you you you've already explained it? You basically said it's seemingly that if there's an all good, all powerful creator, then seemingly there shouldn't be evil. Yeah. Yeah. So the evidential problem, the evidential problem of evil raised by objectors, so an atheist might say, okay, I grant that the existence of evil and the omnicompetent God that you believe in um, are not logically incompatible. Okay, I accept that, but some evils may be compatible with God, but not all evils. 
can see. So the evidentialist wants to make the maneuver and say, okay, I want to say your belief in the existence of God is not reasonable. Why? Uh, given the, the, the kind of being that you believe in. Why? Because some evils are just are not compatible with the kind of being that you believe in. So, or, or is, is highly improbable that the two can be made, uh, can be harmonized or compatible. So the evidentialist, as I mentioned, is, is using an undercutting defeater, not a rebutting defeater. They're trying to hit your justification for belief in God, not the actual belief in God itself. They're trying to show that you have inadequate evidence. The evidence that you present um, doesn't stack up given the kinds of evil types of evil profusion or distribution and character of evil in the world. Now, responses to the evidential problem of evil come in uh, several forms, or you could say there are several tracks of responses you can take. Now, one of them, I think, uh, that you could take is what's known as, um, uh, in contemporary literature, what's known as sceptical theism. A sceptical theism says, look, okay, um, we um, we should be sceptical in our ability to be able to know or discern um, from what we see, the evils we see and, 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 and fathom and experience in the world. We should remain sceptical for our ability to be able to discern, um, you know, uh, whether... That, that evil that we see counts as good evidence against the existence of God. Because we're so limited in our cognitive powers, we're so limited in what we can know and understand and fathom, and we're dealing with an infinitely intelligent and, and you know all-knowing being. So our finite knowledge capacities pitched against an infinite, you know, knowledgeable mind is sure there's no way we're going to fathom what reasons this intelligent infinitely intelligent being what reasons would would he have for permitting evils it's beyond our comprehension so we should just say look for we don't know for all we know he has good reasons for why he allows evil but we should be we should know that given our cognitive limitations we have to remain skeptical that we're going to be able to put our finger on it so that's one track what's known as a kind of skeptical theist route Another track is to say, okay, um, the way to deal with the evidential problem of evil is to offer what's called theodicies. Now, theodicies are an account or a way you try and make sense of there being evil in the world and why God would allow evil in the world. I, what possible reason or just God, you know, uh, what justification would God have for permitting evil, whether they are his actual justifications or possible justifications? So how do we harmonize these two? Now, these are called theodicies. Um, and theodicies come in many different stripes, you know, um, in the contemporary literature and in the medieval literature as well. So God may allow evil um, in order to make us better human beings. God may allow evil to educate us. God may allow evil to contrast it um, so you know what's good, so you know a good, you know something through its opposite. Well, uh, you know, you might have what's known as, well, it may not be an actual evil. In the end, it may be a disguised good, 
and the list goes on and on. There are so many theodicies that a person can give or an account or a model or a way by which to make the existence of God or give an explanation for why God allows evil and for why there exists evil in the world. So that's the second response, theodicy. The third response, very quickly, and we can discuss them and unpack some of them. Uh, the third the third way to deal with the evidentialist problem of evil is to say, okay, now you are attacking my justification for my belief in God, but you're not attacking my belief in God directly. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to deal with you by showing you that there are positive arguments for the existence of God. I, I have more justifications for believing that God exists. So that might be based on a design argument, a cosmological argument, you know, an ontological argument, whatever argument someone uses. So um, even though um, you may not know why, what good reasons God, God has for permitting evil, what you do know is you have confidence in the belief in God. So this will counter, this will be a defeat for the, de the defeater, yeah? So mm -hmm. having confidence that God exists um, doesn't mean I need to have confidence that I know what particular good is served by every particular evil in the world. <clears throat> so all I need to know is I have confidence that God exists and God has informed us that he gives us, he has good reasons for why he might allow evil to exist, being the kind of being that he is. So those are three um, that one can adopt. Um, a final one I can throw in if you want is, well, you can do what's known as turning the tables. So the evidentialist objector to, to against a theist says, OK, the God that you believe in is highly improbable. But one could turn the tables and say, OK, look, um, what actually makes something evil on your on your view, on your worldview? You know, evil quite clearly is real. Um, it's not illusory. Um, people really suffer. Uh, people really have pain. There are really real horrors in the world. Um, but what makes something an evil state of affairs on your worldview? And this is where the theists kind of say, well, on my worldview, a kind of evil is a kind of departure from something normative, whether that is a rule or a command or an ideal, whatever it might be. The evil is some kind of departure from a normative rule or a command or an ideal, I, the way things ought to be. But on a naturalistic and atheistic worldview, world i.e. a world without God, how do you determine the way something ought to be, i.e. how do you d determine what is normative? Um, you know, th there's, no, there's no conformity or de departure from an absolute standard on a naturalistic worldview. So actually what you're, what you're doing here is you're making the problem of evil a problem for atheism. So these are kind of four sort of tracks you could use to respond to the evidential problem of evil. And I think there are four cogent responses that's good to have in the toolkit. So the sceptical theism, yeah. a theodicy, yeah. uh, what was the third one? Oh, yeah, good arguments for the yeah. existence of God because using of God, right. yeah, other arguments. Uh, and the fourth one is to basically ask the question, how do you determine morality? How do you determine the is and the ought uh, yeah. on a naturalistic paradigm? That's right. Um, so, Jake, I don't know if I just come into you for yourself and uh, could you just explain, just go over sceptical theism again, just because some people might think sceptical theism. Are we sceptical about belief in God now? No, no, no. I think the sceptical the theist position is that, look, they say 
I we are cognitively limited finite creatures that, that's just a fact um, now how could it be that with our cognitive limitations we can fathom or discern what an infinite intelligent being what decisions and what choices such a being makes there's no way we're gonna we're gonna fathom that um, so it's not that we don't know that he has reasons there's no way of us knowing because he's inscrutable in that sense. <clears throat> see. So yeah. we reserve, we we reserve our ability be, ability to be able to make judgments about the the workings of an infinite mind. Yeah, yeah. So Jake, do you want to? I can ask Brother oh, Sub. No, go ahead. No, if Jake is going to say something, he can go ahead. Oh, just on skeptical theism, I mean, it's basically what uh, Saf said. It's just the fact that we're not, as humans, we're not really in any privileged epistemic standpoint in order to say that, you know, this this is this is evil or that God should have done this or shouldn't do that. We're just not really, in the grand scheme of things, we only sort of have a snapshot. We don't have the, the full movie. And so we're not really in a privileged epistemic standpoint to really cl make claims on the ultimate scale uh, of these sort of things. And so um, I, I do think it is a good response. Whether or not it solves everything is another story, but I think it definitely is is part of the package that um, I would recommend as far as employing a response to uh, the problem of evil. Yeah, so you're going to ask a question? Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, one of the four points you mentioned was positive arguments for theism. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, I, I think one of the good ways to do that is, is uh, what they call the Morian shift. Right. So, mm -hmm. so let's assume that we, we already have reason to believe that God exists. So an omnipotent, omniscient, omnibenevolent creator exists. So it couldn't be the case that gratuitous evil uh, um, exists, right? So, I mean, that's that's uh, flipping it upside down. But I think that's once we've exhausted uh, uh, all, res all all responses to the argument, and we sort of weigh it out uh, against like the cum uh, cumulative case for theism. But if we're dealing with the argument on its own, um, uh, it, and and we talk about skeptical theism. Uh, isn't there a worry that uh, that might be a, an appeal to mystery? that can maybe backfire in, let's say, if a theist is making a design argument for the existence hmm. of God. Well, the naturalist can say, for all we know, you know right, a, a natural origin can account for the apparent design in the world. Let's assume the design argument works. So, um, I mean, what, what would you say about that? Yeah, no, if you notice the argument is not, I put it to mystery, you're not you're not doing it on taqlid. Can you see? You're not doing it in the Islamic context based on a belief of no evidence. What you're saying to the um, the ev evidentialist objector, you're saying, look, okay, you're asking me why I why first of all to assume whether evils are gratuitous. I don't think they are, but but even if we were to concede that, we ought not to. I think, but let's just say we do. That does nothing to undermine my belief. Why? Because the, his his challenge is that it's an it's a undercutting defeater. Can you see? He's challenging my justification for my belief in God based on. Uh, he's attacking my justification for my belief in God. Okay, so you're attacking my justification. I'm going to give you some justification for why I have confidence 
and certainty in, in God existing. So I'm not doing it. I'm not appealing to mystery. What I'm saying is here are proofs for the existence of God. That gives me confidence that God exists. I don't need to have confidence that I know what particular good is served by every particular evil in the world. I don't need to have confidence in that once I have confidence in the belief in God. Why? Because God tells me that he's a kind of being that he is powerful, good, loving, wise and so on. So I have confidence that he has whatever reasons he has. He has reasons and they are sufficient for serving whatever ends they are to serve. So that's not that's not an appeal to mystery. Can you see? Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But what if we're going to deal with the argument on its own without looking oh. at a cumulative case and bringing ah. in other evidences for God? So something like what Draper does when he talks about possible yeah, yeah, worlds yeah, yeah, yeah. and and you know what would be most likely on naturalism versus theism. So like intrinsic probability, prior probability, and stuff like that. Um, it, looking at that alone, I mean, would you say that the existence of evil? is uh, can be regarded as uh, evidence for uh, the non-existence of the specific conception of god that we believe in um right so here are, i think two two particular um responses you can make and let me see what your ideas are so if we're just not going to take a cumulative uh a response to the evidentialist problem of evil either four that i mentioned let's say you want to tackle the argument head-on with another a different argument or just isolate the argument and attack it well, you've got two options, I think. There are more, but, you know, let's see what you think of this. One, you can deny that there are gratuitous evil. That's the first option, i.e. you could say uh, it's not really true that some evils have this. Some evils are pointless. I. It's not true, i.e. that some evils look gratuitous. And this is like Stephen Weikistra's sort of example. He differentiates between... No, uh, uh, one, not seeing that evil has a point, not seeing that evil has a point, and two, seeing that evil has no point. Now, the scope of that negation is important. So he gives an example. So if I remember correctly, he says that uh, suppose you're going to go to the doctors, right, or dentist, I can't remember, to get an injection, a vaccination, and the nurse... Uh, and the nurse drops a needle on the floor, let's say, right? And she picks it up and says, oh, um, she looks at the needle and says, oh, um, it appears that there's no bacteria or dirt on the needle. Um, and she says, you know, pull your sleeve up so I can put the put the needle in. Would you go ahead and, al and allow her or him to put that needle in your arm? I don't think so. Um, um, so for a while, it does not appear... Even though like there doesn't appear that there's bacteria on the needle, you wouldn't say that it appears that there are no bacteria on the needle. Can you see? So that's Wikish's example. So with respect to evils in the world, it does not appear that they have a reason. But um, it is false that they appear to have no reason. That statement is false. You cannot make the inference from it does not appear that evils you know, do not have a reason. To conclude, therefore, that it's false, that there are no reasons behind the evils. So that inference is not warranted. So just like your inference that it appears that there are no bacteria on the needle, you can't infer that um, that there are no bacteria on the needle. So it appears to me there are no bacteria on, on the needle. Therefore, I infer that there are no bacteria on the needle. The parallel example is it appears to me that there are no point there are no reasons behind the evil the gratuitous 
Therefore, there are no reasons behind the evil. Now, that inference is not warranted. You need some other steps. Can you see? So the atheist. So would you say would you say that like so 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 on the the let's say the non-existence of God, there would be a specific type of evil expected or specific type of evidence expected where we can make that inference right and and but then we 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 are not justified in making that jump because we don't have access to what kind of a world that is meaning that in order to infer that the um, the apparent gratuitousness of the evil is it does mean that the evil is gratuitous. We would have to know what gratuitous evil looks like. Well, that as well. But you'd have to say, how do you make, on what basis do you infer that you cannot, it appears to you that evil is gratuitous. Therefore, there, there must be no point behind any evils. That inference is too strong. That's not warranted. Okay. You need some gaps to fill in. And so that could be one way you tackle uh, uh, the evidential problem of evil. The other way you could tackle it, and this is to swallow the pill a bit, is to say, okay, yeah, you know what? There are gratuitous, there are gratuitous evils in the world, and it's so clear that there are. Some evils just are so pointless. Uh, but you know what? Um, that's what we should expect. Why? Because the world is is not perfect. Only God, only Allah is perfect. The world is um, is finite. It's limited. It, it's uh, uh, um, it's created in a way which is dependent, um, and so there's going to be in, there's going to be imperfections in the world. So why, how could God how could God create something that, that's perfect? He couldn't. Um, yeah. So if the world is imperfect and we have free will, then we should just expect um, to see, um, you know, we should expect to see or not be. We should expect that the evils don't have any point. Evils are pointless. We should expect that because, you know, we have the ambiguity that arises out of free will. And the fact that the world is imperfect, the cocktail of those two things implies that, well, you know what? It's just it's just logically impossible to have a world without evil. And, it, you know, gratuitous evil is just a fact of the world. Now, that does nothing to undermine belief in God. In fact, it gives a reason for God to come in and for us to pin our hopes on God. So that so that could be a way to, to respond. Yeah, Ro, Ro makes yeah, Ro makes yeah. a response to this objection that you yeah, know yeah. you can't make the inference from from the appearance to the, the appearance that it is to that it actually is. Uh, and he's he he basically makes this move where he says that well, if a good God exists, you would expect him to tell uh you know certain victims of horrendous evil why they are experiencing that evil so that it wouldn't seem gratuitous so um uh, what, what would you say to that sorry so the, are you saying the objection is we can intuitively identify gratuitous evils no uh, so 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 i think Roe Ro makes this argument that <clears throat> uh, you would expect uh, uh, that a loving god would yeah. would would uh, provide us with reasons for why the evil exists. So, so let's grant. So, I, I think you would grant the the epistemic limitation that that okay, yeah. we can't we can't access uh, the reasons. But he's saying that if a good God did exist, you would expect yeah. us to have access to the reasons. Not necessarily. Yeah. Not necessarily though. The the withdrawal of a possible reason 
for the evil, for why the, the divine might permit the evil, may be a good. It may be something that draws you in, makes you curious. It may even um, uh, spark your inquiry to find out, hang on, why Why is this? It's, why is this, this particular suffering happening? And what are we going to do to alleviate it? So that your distance from the reason may be the good that finally drives you to try and ameliorate the evil. That's just a possible um, uh, disguise good behind it. So, so again, we can ask Ro the same question. Why do you assume that, uh, going back to my initial point, perhaps you were not there when we, when we went through it, is why must you assume that a benevolent being must provide you, must provide you or ought to provide you, i.e. he's bound by some kind of uh, prerogative to disclose explicitly permissions for why evil are permitted. That is an assumption about the divine in and of itself. Um, so it's not to dodge the question because you've got we've got tools in the arsenal, we've got you know a set of tools that we can use. It's not dodging the question, it's just yeah. asking someone to clarify their assumption. So the question yeah, is, Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. I know, I know, I know, of course you're not dodging. Yeah, no, no, just, no, no, I'm just trying to ask these yeah. listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not it's not about ducking or diving, it's about where did you pick that assumption up from? Did yeah. you pick up from scripture? Is it something that you've postulated? Um, so yeah, can you see? So we have to we ought to push back on that, I think. Yeah, no, so I think uh, it's a good back and forth. Uh, just so that the viewers are aware, we are gonna have callers in, uh, inshallah. And also I, I know Saf, he actually said to me if we could do it another day because he's got like family around and stuff, but alhamdulillah, you know, he's been able to do it. <laughs> so so alhamdulillah, we, we see his oh, cute children. Right. Just excuse the noise in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no it's good, alhamdulillah. But yeah, so um, so in essence, what you're saying is this is, and I think we said it at the beginning, we where people who, who demonstrate whether it's a logical argument against uh, the, for the problem of evil or whether it's an evidentialist argument against the problem of, or for the problem of evil, they tend to come with a lot of presuppositions. The danger for a theist is not to identify some of those presuppositions and and push back on them. Yeah, ask them why. Why why do you think this? Because yeah, we might think of it from a limited perspective, but why? What 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 evidence can you give? What what justification can you give? And then that's when the presuppositions and the assumptions come out. Well, they would say, well, that's what I would do, or that's how I think. Yeah, which itself falls down uh, uh regards to this so um the other point uh, i think we we touched upon because i think we want to go to callers soon uh, unless we want to uh, if there any of the other brothers have got any points that they want to raise or uh, any questions that they want to ask jake uh no not unless you wanted to hit on any of the other questions we had uh yeah yeah okay we'll move on to the other questions because we've got a couple more uh which is good that he reminded me. <laughs> so really quickly then, so I think we've gone through like there's four key possible defenses to the problem of yeah. evil, particularly from an evidentialist. There's skeptical theism, yeah, which is basically saying we're limited, God is unlimited. How can we really understand what's good and evil? Yeah. Uh, second one, which is there's various arguments, theodicies that are used to counteract. Thirdly is that we actually have good, strong reasons to have confidence in belief in God, where we go from what we sense uh, and what we see as a reality around us to conclude uh, about a creator. So why should we use something which is a 
possible or pl even plausible criticism against belief in God when you've got these strong arguments. You'd rather yeah. go where the, the, the strength of the arguments is. Uh, and uh, uh, the fourth one, fourth one, what was the fourth one again? Yeah, the, the fourth one was, well, you know, you turn the table. You say, okay, let's take the discussion evil? further. What is evil on your worldview? How yeah. do you account for it? Yeah. Um, uh, sure, yeah, surely evils are, are, if you were to agree, you know, some bad state of affairs that you ought to remove or ameliorate. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so what, how does, how, how does Islam uh, and many of the ulama of the past you know, obviously they discussed the concept of the problem of evil. How did they view it? How did they seek to address it? Ah, okay, yeah. So, I mean, one, uh, one, you know, as with a lot of things in my own study, you know, I, I begin with Hujjat al-Islam, Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, rahimahullah. So Ghazali, I think, frames uh, the issue or the puzzle, um, I mean, pretty much the way that contemporary analytic philosophers of religion sort of um, surmise the problem. And then he talks about how under the, the name of Ar-Rahim and Ar-Rahman, you know, perhaps you may ask that what is the meaning of God's being compassionate? You might ask, what is the meaning of God's being compassionate and the most compassionate? Um, for surely, wa Rahim la yara mubtala madruran wa muadzaban wa maridan wa huwa yaqdin ala imatati ma bihim illa wa yubadi ila imatatihi. Surely, a compassionate person does not see someone being afflicted, injured, or tormented, or ill without rushing to remove that from him if he is able to remove it. Right? Wa Rabb Subhanahu wa Taala qadin ala kifayati kulli baliya. So he says that, look, if, now if God is able to stop every misfortune, you know, to avert all poverty and grief and, and, you know, and to remove every sickness and injury that someone might have, you know, he's able to do all that. But yet the world is overflowing with sickness and, you know, tribulations and calamities. He's able to remove all of them. And yet, yet he leaves his servants in travail to disasters and misfortunes. Someone could ask that, Hujjat al-Islam says. So look how he frames it. You know, the problem was well known amongst our scholars. Can you see? It's not a new formulation by philosophers in, in the last 50 60 70 years so now this particular issue of trying to reconcile god's being a rahman and a rahim but we also have to remember by the way and people forget this that one of the names of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-wudud al-wudud comes into the mix here because al-wudud means uh Wudud means looking out, like, you know, loving the good for all of creation. That's what al-wudud means. Allah's love or wanting good for all of creation. So he does good to them and praises them, yeah? And so, um, and al-wudud, the act of wood, of loving, 
أفعال الودود لا تستدعي ذلك بل الإنعام على سبيل الابتداء من نتائج الود so Hujjat Islam tells us that Allah's love is if he's al-wudud he loves and cares for something without that thing needing it can you see whereas Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim those attributes apply to things that are mutar or they need it muhtaj yeah so Hujjat Islam says al-wudud is someone who loves and cares for everything in creation ala sabid al-ibtida min nata'ij al-wud out of just pure love there's no the thing doesn't even need it um and then he says this kind of love if it embodies if we embody it as human beings i.e we, we contemplate in allah's name and we try and embody it it means al-wudud min ibadillah man yuridu lilkhalqillah kullama yuriduhu linafsi is to want for all of creation or people what you would desire for yourself hatta such that one of the, the sort of um, sort of men of Allah, you know, one of the people who have intimate knowledge of Allah, he said, biha. I would wish that I were a bridge on over the fire such that people would trample over me to get to the other side. That's the kind of love we're talking about. That that a human being embodies from knowing what al-wudud means in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The other example that they give, and Imam al-Ghazali gives this example, and I'm sorry I'm I'm banging on about this, but I'll, just, I'll, I'll tell you why I'm mentioning this. He also gives the example of when in battle, our Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam, his blessed face was struck and his blessed tooth was broken. What was his reply to that attack? Allahumma fili qawmi fa'innahum la ya'lamoon. Allah forgive my people because they're ignorant that they don't know that's why they're striking a prophet of Allah so the reason why I mention this is that our scholars knew that these names like al-wudud um, al-rahman al-rahim they come into tension with the, the unimaginable horrors that we see in the world and so um, so often they would frame it in how then do we come to understand these names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and try and calibrate that with existence we see in the world. Now, in terms of the theological discussions, in the books of Kalam, the science of Islamic theology, Ilmul Kalam, you will find it like under topics like Tahseen or Taqbih, like what is good or bad? Can the mind discern or judge what is good and what is bad? Ta'adil or Tajweer, justice and goodness and injustice so they would they would put the topic under that so they would ask questions like can we judge correctly what is good or bad can evil be ascribed to allah's actions can allah prevent evil is god obligated to do what is best for his creatures um the doctrine of aslah that the mu'tazila argued for is god just in allowing pain and suffering can allah punish innocence and things like that so all these questions our ulama, you know, asked, but it was framed in that way. They looked at the names and attributes of Allah and then um, framed it as, well, then surely a a, a, a person, a being as al-wudud, al-Rahman, al-Rahim, wouldn't allow his servants um, to just be strewn with these troubles and, and tribulations and tests and pain and suffering. So it's there in our literature, and not not many people are aware that it's, it was intimately discussed by our scholars. 
Uh, so really quickly, actually, because uh, we want to try and get some callers in. And I know, Saf, you're, you're very busy and uh, you may have to leave us in a bit. But uh, just wanted to, what you mentioned earlier there, how do you then, how did the ulama, they square this with maybe mm. concepts like punishment or hell, as an example? Oh. Yeah, or even even just general evil in the world then? Well, maybe we'll talk about evil in the world and then we'll talk about yeah so one of the strategies the ulama took and especially the ulama of the Ash'ari school so the school of imam abul hassan al-ash'ari rahimahullah so his position and the position of his school was generally we shouldn't we shouldn't be involved in theodicies i.e we shouldn't try and vindicate allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the face of what we perceive to be evil or injustice, pain, suffering, things like that. It's, it's improper to ask about the divine motives. Why did Allah, what's, what's behind Allah's action for allowing this? Or why did Allah's will permit this? Or can you see, they felt because of our cognitive limitations, who are we? We will be questioned. He, was, he will not be questioned. Can you see? So le, le, he will not be questioned. Rather, they will be questioned. Wahum yus'alun. Yeah. So, from verse of Quran, isn't it? Huh? Yeah, yeah. It's exactly, from a verse exactly, of Quran, yeah. Exactly. So it does overlap with the skeptical theist position a bit as well. So there's the anti theodicy position of the Asha'ira. You don't look for causes for God's actions. It's improper. Allah could do whatever He wants to do. He has dominion, sovereignty, and control and power over His creation. He created it. He has no moral obligations to His creation. So if He wants to create something and then annihilate it, he can do that. There is no, there's no account to give here. You can see, there's no. Mm. Oh, well, let me explain why God would want to do this. Um, if he wants to create, uh, if he wants to punish any category of his creations, he can, because he's not, he's not beholden to any standard, and there's not anything he owes. Some he's, he doesn't owe anyone anything. Um, so, so like if I own something like my own property. Um, I can do whatever I want in it. I have tasarrufat, as we say in fiqh. I have, I can have disposable power over it. I can do whatever I want. So similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do whatever he wants to his creation, whatever he wants. There is no one to question him because there is no standard which he is, in, there's no metric by which the divine actions are measured. So uh, that's one one position. The other position in, 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 our, in our tradition you see, and this is particularly the Mu'tazila, is that they say no. Uh, Allah has to do what is in the material, in the best interest and welfare of his creatures. He's obligated to do that. And so his actions are guided by human welfare. So human maslaha. Um, and so he's bound morally to do that. And we, we see some of that view has, you know, quite a lot of philosophers today like that kind of view, that God's actions must be in line with some kind of benefit or some kind of good, a discernible good. I'm sorry, I lost the other part of your question. It was about, uh, so the response is, yeah. So one is skeptical theism. One is yeah. to say God will only do what's in, in the best interest. So if there's evil in the world, it must serve some kind of, Greater uh, good. Yeah, there must be some kind of good behind it as to why Allah might allow it. The other thing is that the other responses you find in our literature is evil is unavoidable occurrence 
from the way the world was created. You create human beings with free will, a corollary of that, iltizam um, of that is, well, you're going to get people who are going to do bad. Um, if you create objects with sharp property, it's going to be used for good, it's going to be used, used for bad. Um, other responses are, you know, evil is just a matter of subjective perspective. You think something is evil, but in a greater perspective or in a more broader perspective, um, someone with more scaled or higher knowledge, it may not be an evil. Um, another response you find in the literature, especially with Hafiz ibn al-Qayyim, he wrote wonderful, wonderful um, ways in which evil is integrated into the, the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So evil in the end is not actually evil, it's actually disguised good. Evil allows us to appreciate what is good, i.e. so, uh, you know, with opposites you come to know things. Um, as the Arabs say, with the opposite you come to know what something is. Evil is just a part of the way the world is, just like everything else. It's just the furniture of the world. E evil is a means to draw closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, evil is to build our nafs and make us better. Evil is necessary to secure more goods. Evil is part of the perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, what's known as the aesthetic theodicy. So evil is part of the, the picture, the entire perfect picture of the world. Um, so these are just some of them. There are tons, there are tons of responses that you find yeah. in our literature. Yeah, yeah. So really, I, I think it's. Uh, I just wanted two quick questions and oh, no, cool. yeah, two no, no, quick no, no, answers. Please. So the first first quick question is in relation to animal suffering because it seems to be quite wow. a popular one. Uh, <laughs> you know, sorry, man, I don't mean to put you on the on the time Not clock for this Not one. But you know, one of the arguments I think uh, was it Alex O'Connor who uh, does uh, what's his uh, cosmic skeptic, I think it is. Yeah. You know, he's he's very much into this contingency argument, but he, then he says, Oh, but there's this gratuitous evil, particularly animal suffering. You know, so he said animal suffering is gratuitous, yeah, oh. yeah. Okay. So he's saying it's gratuitous and there's no way around it that an all good God, all powerful, would allow you know millions of years of animal suffering. For no apparent reason. All right. So this is known as the um, the Darwinian problem of evil or the evolutionary problem of evil. Now, I, I, just to shamelessly do a plug, yeah. Um, so in my current book on the problem of evil, I devote uh, half the book to addressing the problem of animal suffering and the evolutionary problem of evil. Um, and in a, in a forthcoming paper, which hopefully will be published. I, I used other theodicies, animal theodicies, uh, evolutionary theodicies to, that aren't used in the book. Again, it goes back to the question, um, what, what are your value presuppositions about animal mm. suffering? Now, now we've got to, I'm not demeaning in any way the seriousness of suffering, especially, you know, human suffering, creaturely pain, things like that. But we have to press someone to say, what is it specifically that you find problematic about um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creating animals for all these, you know, millions of years um, or creatures, non-human animals. Um, some have become extinct. And all we find in, in that animal history is death, destruction, waste, um, you know, extinction, things like that. Uh, well, 
again, we can utilize some of the theodicies that I mentioned. One, it depends. You might think, again, Allah has no obligations, right? That might be one response you make. If Allah creates his creatures, even if he creates one creature and he disposes of it however he wishes, Jalla wa'ala, quantifying that to millions is irrelevant because suddenly one, one million animals doesn't become a moral imperative on Allah to now say, I've got to stop creating animals because other animals are going to eat them. Um, can you see? So if you're going to, you can take that route and say the divine has no, no, no obligation to any of his creatures, not to human beings, let alone animals. So there really is no issue here to resolve. Um, what we have to then do is try and conform our natural inclinations when we see animals suffer or when we see the sort of nature red in tooth and claw um, that you know, we, we, how, how, what kind of response does that put in us as, as creatures? So some people say all this death and suffering in the natural world is, is a kind of educative theodicy. It's to us to try and come to higher consciousness about Allah's names and attributes. Look how Allah is al-musawwir. Look how he created these different, you know, biodiversity. Um, Allah is um, al-hakim. He's so wise. He's put everything in its proper place in the natural world. Predation doesn't happen um, without, you know, some kind of system in play there. You know, there's a whole uh, ecosystem at play. Um, and another attribute would be Allah is al-khaliq and al-bari. Look at how, look how, we, what kind of being must have created all these species. So maybe the predation, um, all these things that happen in the animal kingdom, maybe that is a pointer to making us more aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attributes. I'm talking from a theist perspective. Um, for, an, for an atheist, you know, you have to just say, again, go back to our presuppositions that we talked about earlier. You know, God... What kind of idea of God are you holding when it comes to animal suffering and the evolutionary um, disvalues or discomforts that, that, that we see? Um, what kind of God and what, what assumptions are you making about the divine? So, yeah, so God can do what he wants in creation. Perhaps the, the whole of uh, uh, this discomfort we see in nature is to make us educate us about who our Lord is. So you come to know Allah through the good and through what is the bad and the ugly. Um, maybe it's an aesthetic theodicy, as I mentioned, is part of Allah's overall artistic picture of the world. Yes, believe it or not, Iblis is also part of Allah's creation. And Al-Hafiz Ibn Al-Qayyim talks about why would Allah create Iblis? And he gives like 24 reasons what good can come out of creating Iblis. So the fount of all evil, you know, so he talks about the fount of all evil, Iblis. Um, so that could be a possible reason. Um, maybe all the way Allah's created animals, one of the corollaries is this is how they behave. They're mm. just acting like the nature. So it's a, it's a, it's inevitable given the way Allah's created nature and so on and so on and so on. So you can rattle off, I think, a number of uh, theodicies. But as I said, they just go towards some way in giving you a kind of generic account. You know, I cannot account for every instance of evil with these theodicies, but they're not, that's not their purpose. Can you see? It's not yeah. to, it's a case-by-case case issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just the, to give a possible explanation, yeah, a possible yeah, idea yeah. about these, right. these topics. The, uh, I think uh, I think it, we've we've actually uh, we've put your um, book in the chat, in the live oh. chat. So I think, uh, you know, inshallah, opportunity for Muslims, non-Muslims, that, you know, if you, if you want, uh, you can get a hold of his book can buy his book inshallah uh, and you know it goes into a bit more detail um 
sorry, Saf. What is we've got a caller that wants to call okay. in, so uh, so maybe we'll go to our first caller. While we go to our first caller, I'm just going to quickly jump off. I'll be here, sure. but I'll be off. No worries. Uh, and I'll let Jake and Abdul and uh, Saf take over. Sure. So we've got uh, a few people waiting, but we've got Mr. Pine Creek waiting. So let's bring him on and uh, see what he's got to say. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, and good to see you, Saf. Is that how you say your name? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. Well, I'm an atheist, and um, the way I usually talk about the problem of evil is from the perspective of God before creation. Mm. And then I think what you said earlier was very good about not making any assumptions. So I'll just ask you, um, do you believe that Allah uh, sees the future? It's never surprised, knows what's going to happen. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. You, do you believe Allah is perfect? You can't get better than Allah. For sure. Okay. And so um, if we have, I, I like the two worlds, mm. uh, hypothetical experiments. So let's say you have two two worlds. One world is just Allah. Yeah. Another world is Allah plus extra stuff like the yeah. universe. Yeah. Uh, the first world has no sin, correct? Has no pain has no suffering. The second world has all in it, but has all that other stuff. Which world is better in your opinion? The first world or the second world? Well, I can't make that judgment um, because... It's just your opinion. Yeah, if I, but how, how could you compare a world, let's say, if God inhabits a world, a possible world, in which there is only God um, and and I prefer, let's say, that world over a world in which there is God, in which and there are creatures of God plus one or Allah plus one, in which He can then manifest or exhibit or exemplify His beautiful names and attributes. Um, it's difficult for the mind to make these judgments. Uh, just like how how can I prefer a world in which there are no moral creatures, because there are no moral properties or moral freedom, to a world in which you know, there aren't such such creatures. On what basis am I judging? Can you see? I can have a, I can just have a, an inclination or a preference, but that's all it could be, right? Yeah. Well, I guess the question gets more at if, by definition, all is perfect and you can't get better. Yeah. Then anything you add to it is not going to make it better. Yeah, for sure. I think adding something to, I don't think creation adds to the perfection somehow god lacked perfection then he created creation and then he became a little bit more perfect yeah you don't believe that right yeah for sure i mean but now why the divine would create creatures in such a loving way um we were just talking about one of the names of god being al wudud the the love the one who loves without any um need for a person to have that love um so why he did that now, these are going into the realms of divine motives. Can you see? And it's, I will start to struggle unless he discloses his reasons why. Is there anything um, that you think that Allah doesn't want? No, he didn't say in scripture that he doesn't want. It's just if someone were to ask me on what, on what grounds are you making to say one world is better than another world, I'm just going to struggle. I can give some 
you know, sort of generic reasons why I might prefer one based on scripture or something like that. But can you think of something that Allah would say, no, I don't want this? Yeah, he doesn't like, for example, the things that lots of things that he doesn't love, he tells us. He like doesn't what? love that people um, are, you know, uh, are deceived and they run away from him. Okay, so like let's say, let's call that disbelief. disbelief. Yeah, huh? disbelief. Let's call that disbelief. Right. There, yeah. So there, in the first world, there's no disbelief because it's just Allah. In the second world, there's Allah plus people disbelief. who do believe and disbelieve. Sure. So now we have two worlds. Yeah. One world that in, entails something that Allah doesn't want, disbelief. For sure. So wouldn't you say the first world is better because the first world doesn't have any disbelief in it? Not necessarily. Again, you need a value criterion, you see, when you're judging between worlds. Because the, by having people who disbelieve, there's also the possibility that people will lovingly turn to God because you need moral freedom. In order to believe and disbelieve in God, so right. maybe we have belief and disbelief. But in the first world, there's just Allah. You can't get better than that. So no, I get, well, I, I understand yeah. your your answer is basically you don't want to judge between the two worlds. Do you believe Allah was free not to create the second world? For sure, no, he's not bad. Yeah, my my what I understand is that the divine, if he creates a world, then he creates it out of a choice, not out of a necessity. So I believe in a choice model of divine action. I don't believe in the necessitarian model. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Allah could have chosen not to create anything. He could have chosen not to because he's not bound by any uh, higher principle or uh, any in, any higher axiom by which he must create a world. He creates it out of choice. Now, why he created the world, I now Allah plus the world or plus creation, why mm -hmm. he created other, everything other than himself, and whether that world is better, it's hard hard to, to judge. But the fact that he created it and I, you know he's given he's blessed me with being and existence. So from my you know from my own predilection, I think it's a good world. The fact that but I there would be there would be no disbelief of all I never created, correct? There'd be no disbelief for sure. There'd also be no belief for sure, right? So okay, so I agree with uh, it. Makes what you're saying makes logical sense. If there was if. Allah shows that his free will not to create there be zero disbelief. I'm saying that if someone were to say um, a world um, in which there are creatures who disbelieve, which would also entail that they, they believe as well, maybe that possibility of belief where, there, so, where someone lovingly turns to Allah, that might be the good, the disguised good that, that becomes a God-justifying reason why Allah created the world. That could be the good, um, for all I know. For all I know. Um but what we do get, if I want to get a bit mystical, um, in the mystical tradition, um, you do get some scholars who say, no, but this is their own deliberations. You know, there's nothing, there's no theological, um, there's no normativity here. But this is, but this is the, the tension, I think, um, Muslim Christians, Jews all have to, yeah. well, maybe not Jews, have to deal with is that, Allah, tell me if you disagree with anything I'm about to say. Allah is not okay with this belief or sin. He's not okay with it. He doesn't like it. He created knowing what that that would result. For sure. And he said, I'm going to create it anyhow. That's right. That's basically the problem of evil right there. That's right. And the angels, the angels in the Quranic tradition, the angels ask that very same question in, in, in when, according to our, you know, belief adam was created and then the angels asked god look why are you creating a 
the being that is going to be a representative that's not only going to create mischief on the earth, he's going to create their progeny, his progeny is going to create bloodshed on the earth. And then God's response was, Look, I know what you do not know, so you are finite creatures, you know, and 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 I am I am your Lord. I know better that there may be greater goods that unfold. That's one possible reason for why creating human beings on earth. But you still um, have the problem of hell. I, I yeah. won't make any assumptions, but do you believe that some people can, can go I, to can hell? Can I ask you a question, Pine Creek? Because I think, uh, uh, Dr. Saf, the, the answer he wants from you is, I would choose world A over world B. So why don't you, as a theist, believe that God cho should choose world A over world B? Is, is That's what you're getting at, right, Pine Creek? I mean, but you need a value right. criteria, you see. I, so yeah, you need a value precisely. criteria to judge between one possible, possible world with another possible world. Why Why must we assume that a world, that God creating, let's say, automaton or a world with, you know, just only people just do good. Why is that a world that is better than a world in which we inhabit now? Because um, of what you said what earlier. Criterion would you prefer one over the other? This is like an internal critique. So the criterion we prefer is what does Allah desire? That's the criterion. Allah is the criterion. And our response will be that he, the, what he desires may be secured by creating the kind of world that he's created, like this world. But, but what he doesn't desire is disbelief, yes. For sure. But he knows. But, it's but there would be no disbelief if he never created. So there's the tension. That's not a tension because, the, because what you could say is the, the, the purposes that God seeks by creating the world with the possibility, the possibility, not the necessity, but the possibility of disbelief being in there, God creating a world in which there is a possibility of disbelief because there is a possibility of belief maybe over the span of whatever human history however or whatever span of time you want to take secures the goods that he wants to seek based on his wise purposes right but you some see? of those some of those goods that he secures to seek is knowing with 100% certainty which i think you believe that some will disbelieve sure. and end some up in hell some people will uh, willfully antagonistically reject God, doesn't matter what circumstance they will be put in. Yeah. Right. And so there would be no pain, no evil, no suffering. And more, most importantly, there'd be nobody in hell today or in the future. There'd be nobody in hell if Allah never created, correct? If he never created hell, yeah, there'd be nobody. In no, hell. if he never created anything. There'd if be he no never created anything. Yeah. There'd be no heaven and hell. Yeah. There, so every person who, who ends up in hell has ended up there because Allah chose out of his free will to create. Yeah, he chose people to create. He, ch he chose to create people. People choose whether they want to be with God or be distant from God. Yeah. Right. But, but if Allah never created them, knowing what they would choose and that For they sure. would end up there, they would not be there. So, sure. so just like with companies, the CEO, the, the yep. buck stops at the top, Allah is so at least partially responsible for everything. But is that, but would you agree that? But, you're in, you can't, but you cannot move to a further, your inference can only go so far. All you can say is, um, if God didn't create anything, then nobody would have went to hell. That's true, because there would be no heaven, no hell, no nothing. That's right. true. That's, yep. you, that's all the inference that you can make. There are no further inferences the, you can make. about That's God the important or, one. <laughs> no, but that's... Pine Creek, can I ask you a question? Yeah, that doesn't so, do anything for anyone's view. You're just saying that if God didn't create anything then it follows that some people would not have been hell if God created hell. That just yeah. follows from right. the fact that God created hell. Yep. But but there are no more there are no more moral claims or further claims that you can infer from just that statement. Yeah. Well, you know, we can because if morality is defined by the nature of Allah and Allah doesn't like disbelief, 
yet he no. created knowing disbelief Pine would Creek. result. Sorry, Pine Creek. Yeah, Pine Creek. I may, you, I may you, be you, losing you, a track of inference, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. So Pine what, Creek, what are you losing? do you think, let, let me ask you a question, Pine Creek, sorry. Do you think uh, Allah likes sinful people? No. Do you think that Allah therefore would want to create a world where there is no sinful people? Yeah, correct. So that would be wrong from an Islamic paradigm. Because from, the Islamic, because from the Islamic paradigm, we believe that God wanted people to commit sin so God would forgive them. But did God want to create people so they end up in hell? Would you agree with that? No, no, but you understand that particular point. Yes, you're saying God created so, people so, because he wanted them to sin so he could forgive them. Right. So, so your point, this is what I understand from your argument, because let's narrow it down. Your point was this, was that God desires nobody to commit sin, let's say as an example. Right. Therefore, God has the power to do that. Therefore, right. God would only seek to establish a world that doesn't have people committing sin. That was your line of argument. Now, I gave a possible argument or possible explanation. In fact, it's the Islamic explanation, which is that God does want to create people who commit sin so that he can forgive them. So although God dislikes sinners... He allows sinners to exist okay. in order for, for for God to forgive them. I get that. Yeah. Here's but then you gotta take it one step further. Does God want pe to create people knowing with hundred percent certainty that some will die without for asking for forgiveness from Allah? Yeah, and end up in hell. But but you understand the point, the wider point. This is the wider point now. Yeah, but does God point no, no, the wider, no, what's the wider point that I'm making then? Pine Creek, you You're understand? saying that God created people because he gave them an opportunity to freely ask for forgiveness of him. No, yes? that's not the wider point. The wider point well, isn't that. What's the, the wider, wider point? point? The wider point is that some we have limitations in terms of understanding the reasons why God would create certain things. And therefore, to try to determine that, therefore, there is a logical contradiction, which is what you're trying to argue. No, no, no. I'm not saying a logical what, contradiction. Well, uh, well what are you it, arguing for then? Because I think the problem is, and this is what Dr. Saf was pointing out, that based on what he answered and your claims, it doesn't necessarily entail what you think it does. You're making an additional inference that you cannot get from the information that you What's the given. inference I'm making? Well, you tell us because you just said it wasn't a logical con uh, contradiction. No, no, my whole, point is, my whole point is to help the Muslim feel icky about it. Um, it's just, no, seriously, that's it. Because, yeah. and I think it's a very powerful argument, which I think even theists will admit to. There's no problem of evil for the atheist, it's for the theist. So the, it's. Oh, no, I think. No, you know, that's wrong. Okay, scratch that from the record because I don't want to. Pine Creek, can you, make, can you make the argument? Sorry, I don't mean to. Yeah, well, so, can you so just make is, the argument right now in premise, premise, conclusion form? Well, I, I'll try. Um, so, premise one would be God doesn't like sin, He doesn't like disbelief. Premise two would be something like God knows the future with certainty. He's never surprised. I think both of these things, both these, both these premises you guys agree with. Premise three, um, it would be that he knows with certainty some will disbelieve and end up in hell. Mm. Uh, conclusion, Allah was okay with some people disbelieving and going to hell. So, so, so that that conclusion that Allah was okay with people dis disbelieving and going to hell, right? Uh, are you saying that that contradicts? 
All I'm saying is God, it could God make you guys disliking, feel icky. Did dislike? <laughs> it's not okay. So you're arguing from emotion here because it's not Definitely. making me feel icky. Okay, you are. So, so, here's, here, so here, here, here's the issue. Here's the issue, Pine Creek. Well, he just said he's the, arguing what, from what, emotion. What, what, what you want, what you it's want to say, motion. what you want to say, what you want to say is that. Uh, you know, this world that God actualized is not ideal in the sense that there is evil in it and people will be tortured in hell for an eternity. Therefore, yes, yes. Therefore, it is it is something that is not, uh, uh, you know, the best of poss all possible world or it's not something that's morally good or justified. Right. But uh, let me ask you a question. Are what are your views on morality? What's what's your underlying ethical theory that I want makes you to assume you that I have none? How can I then how can I understand what you mean by good and evil? I'm using your definitions. What is my definition of good and evil? Anything that goes uh, in line with Allah's will, his nature is good. Anything that doesn't is evil. Okay. Then, then. Okay. Okay. Fine. Fine. Wrong? So let's let's go with that. Let's go with that. Am I wrong? Let's let's, let's assume it's my definition. Let's assume it's okay. my definition. Then how does me feeling feeling icky about anything affect reality in any way, shape, or form? Doesn't. If you're granting, if you're granting for yeah, the sake Abdul, of the argument, you gotta stick on this point. This, this is the if, fundamental if, point. If you're if you're granting for the sake of the argument that good and evil are defined by what God does, then why does me feeling icky about anything have any significance at all here because you're granting that what he does is good by definition let's call it a day and go home yeah but wait yeah. but wait but wait you guys feel icky so what so what's wrong with feeling icky? Well, you know, well, you what, what does feeling icky prove i was wrong about you abdul you don't feel icky about it right let's I assume know. i do let's assume i do let's assume <laughs> i do what does it prove what is, what what, you, what argument are you well, trying it, to make it, it shows if you're granting you yourself are granting for the sake of the argument that good and evil are defined by god's acts right so whatever it's a divine command theory basically right. right now if that is the case and you're already granting that in your argument yep. then you say that me feeling icky should have any role to play in determining what is good or evil then you're contradicting yourself no no i'm not saying what determines good or evil i'm saying how, what you do with your life in terms of worship uh how you practically outlive the consequences of this belief that's what i'm talking about fine i can feel like you all day right but but that, that doesn't constitute an argument so do you have a better argument to make than you know guys, you should feel icky about this because well, us feeling icky about it doesn't prove anything unless you're going to say it, that our subjective feeling about what is good and evil actually reflects the actual of the reality of what is objectively good and evil. Do you I have do. children? Okay. I do. What if God decreed before the beginning of creation that uh, your children, all of them, will end up in hell? Would you? Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Would you have rather God created nothing? Um, I, I don't know if I would have rather God created nothing. I wouldn't have liked it. Let's 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 make that more modest. Why wouldn't you uh, have liked it? That I wouldn't have liked it. But then here's the fundamental question: based on your definition of good and evil that you're using for the sake of this argument, my not liking it is irrelevant. Okay, that's the point. But that's the point you, you have to focus on. I understand. I understand. You're making yeah, yeah, point. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. my question to you yeah, though would. is: Would you worship Allah if He told you that? That all your children, I he created for destruction to go to hell. 
Pine would you still worship him? Pine yeah. Cream. So That's again, 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 accepting your accepting your definition for granted. Accepted your definition that you're using in the argument because I'm dealing with your ideas. Yes, I would because we would Why? like to be a people that follows reason and evidence. So objectively speaking, if that is what's good and e if that is how good and evil is defined, no, but you God still, is the source of objective Abdul, good. So I would still, still want to worship that God. Why? You still have the option not because to. we don't need to have an emotional argument or appeal to emotion. The fact is, is that you've already admitted that your whole argument is based on emotions rather than a strict no. logical argument. So it's, it's powerful because irrelevant. of emotion. But the the point of it, everything I've been saying, I think you guys agree with. And the no, thing, I don't. I don't agree. What with part you. have no, you disagreed? Your, 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 your inference that I your, gave. your inference that you're going to that we should say, oh no, the God, the the world in which God existed alone by Himself is better. No, we're rejecting. I asked that. the question. I asked nobody. The, nobody agreed to that. <laughs> but you both agreed. Yeah, that but God here's saw the, the question you were asking. No, 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 Abdul, Abdul, listen, listen. You got to focus on this point. You're coming on here and you're not giving a logical argument. You're admitting that you're giving an argument that is purely based on emotions. I'm giving an argument to show that Allah created something that he doesn't want. Are we agreed? No. No, no we don't agree. No. That's, that's what okay, you're okay, okay. assuming. <laughs> Does Gala want disbelief? See, we've already been down this line of questions. Does Gala before. want this? Does Allah we, want We've disbelief? already answered that. You said, you said no. So, but so there's God a difference between irada, irada, Okay, so there's a difference between irada kawniya and irada shariya, right? One of the brothers mentioned in in, in the chat, uh, blazing heart, uh, So irada kawniya, which is God's, uh, uh, you know, cosmic decree, mm -hmm. is what He wants the world to be like. God's irada shariya, or His shari, or or uh, legislative decree is what he dislikes in terms of legislation moral right and moral wrong you're equivocating between the two when you say god doesn't will for good for for evil but then he wills to create evil there's an equivocation on these two wills right so he dislikes the evil in a legislative sharai sense but he wills for a world uh, that contains evil to exist. So there's an equivocation you're making. I don't quite understand that because if Allah didn't want disbelief, all he had to do is not create. Yes, I think we all agreed about on that. Uh, we don't. So what? What do you mean by want here? So we, we what yeah. we say is that he wanted a world with disbelief. That doesn't mean that he likes disbelief okay. in and of itself. Okay, that's fine. So you're saying he wanted people to disbelieve in him. To create a world he, where some would God, God willed to create a world where people would freely disbelieve in Him, although He doesn't morally approve of that disbelief. There's nothing incoherent. About okay, that. and but you believe Allah knew that if He didn't create, then all that would have been solved. Who, there's no problem to solve. God yeah, will for that world to exist. No, no, there is a problem. Disbelief no, is a no, problem. No, no, no. Focus not. on this. Focus on, focus no, on this is part. A problem to, no, focus on this, this part. God wanted this world this to exist. Is, problem. is disbelief a problem for Allah? No. No. That's the okay, whole point. Is, You're is making sin, an inference okay, to that. I'm asking, I'm asking, is sin a problem for Allah? No. no. Is people going to hell for eternity a problem for Allah? No. no. Okay. So Allah... Would you say, I don't know a better word to use, but is Allah okay with sin, disbelief, and people going to hell? You're equivocating now. So he's okay with it in the sense that he willed for a world to exist that contains these things. But he does not, he doesn't, he, he, he says, or he, he decrees that these things are morally wrong. 
right? So that's not that's not the same thing as him not willing for them to exist. What did you just right? say? He decrees that they're morally wrong. What did, I missed that. Yeah, he legislates. So they, he, he legislates. legislates. He legislates that they're morally wrong. So yeah, he created wrong. something and legislated it as morally wrong. No, yeah. no. Pine Creek. Pine Creek. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to sin. And he said that these sins are not okay. You're saying that there's some kind of inconsistency, but then when we ask for what the logical inconsistency is, you don't have one other than- well, I'm, I'm trying to steal man well, you here. It doesn't feel good. No, we're trying to steal man you, but you're not giving us anything to work with. You're just saying it's an emotional argument. It's well, not no, It's your belief, not mine. That's why I'm asking you the question. So let's give right. you a final but chance. You're, because, you're, getting because... to a, you're getting to a conclusion. You're making an inference from either what you're saying or what we're saying that doesn't actually follow by necessity. That's the whole problem with your argument. Well, my argument is basically this. And, and tell me, you stop me when you disagree with something. Allah is perfect. Allah knew the future. Um, he doesn't like sin. He doesn't like disbelief, but he created it. Uh, what else? Oh, Pine, Creek, Pine Creek, I'm sorry. We're going to keep going on. We're going to keep yeah, going on. I, I so just, the point is either make the logical argument or admit that you're not making a logical well, argument. You're making an, you're, you're making an argument from emotion. Like, in which case, the emotional argument it's, is not It's not work. quite just an argument from, from emotion. It's also an internal critique that shows that there's a tension there. And I think even Saf admits this. So, so I'll tell you what, no, either, no. either, provide, either provide the logical argument right now in, in, in premise, premise, conclusion form, or go back, prepare it like AP did. He did his homework and he made a video after the, the, the stream. Go back, prepare the argument in a way that we can understand it. Well, here's, where your terms are defined, where it's intelligible, and come present it and we'll deal with it. But the way you're dealing, we're presenting it now, that's not a, a logical argument. What's interesting about this is there's there's hardly anything you guys have disagreed with me on. It's maybe you say yeah, that, I'm using that's different. That's the whole point is you're getting, you're inferring something based on what we agreed on and you're getting to a conclusion that we don't agree with. Now, Seth hasn't spoken in a while i'd like for him to come yeah. in and maybe comment on on what he is seeing happening here oh no 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 thanks for bringing me the conversation again i think it's important that perhaps we tease out uh, or when we can in another time perhaps I'm, I'm not sure what the assumptions are on each uh uh what the, what the underlying assumptions are of the argument whenever we we begin with um would you prefer God doing X and Y? Already we have to assume what is the interlocutor, what, what is their idea about God, um, even if they might try and use our own definition. Um, because grating underneath are these assumptions about surely God would not want to prefer a world in which he creates free creatures, which has the, the corollary of there being sin. Not that he creates the sin with the person, but that there is a corollary of sin. Right. But surely Result. he would want. Surely he would want a world in which only there was good and not sin. Well, how do you know that? I mean, I mean, we just. This is what I'm saying. The value criterion to use to judge one world is better or or or, or, or worse than, and worse in what respect? First of all, um, that depends on the background information we're using to construct the argument. So, relative to certain background information. Me, I'm sure the answers could be yes or no. So we have to get the background information straight. If someone says, if Allah is X, Y, then and then this happens, then wouldn't the conclusion be this? Yeah, given X and Y, but let me also bring in A, B, and C. Can you see? So 
the background information is important for how we construct the argument. Um, so I think I'd better uh, it would be better for me to learn learn better the argument perhaps when we have a way we can. But you know, you've you've heard what I've said before, right? Yeah. So, so there's nothing new, and and usually the outs a lot of theists give is that they limit God's um, knowledge of the future. They you know there's open theists. Yeah, yeah. They they say he can only know the knowable. So that's one out that theists have. Yeah, Another yeah. out is say that God is they limit his omnipotence. Sure. That sure. that that certain attributes of God is better when it's demonstrated. And so therefore that's why you need to create another out is that God is not free. It's part of his nature to create. So he had to create because if he was free, the, he would see what's coming and say, you know what? I don't need this. I don't need people. Well, that's an assumption. I don't need this. I mean, it's not about need. So this well, is, do you believe that? Becomes, yeah. The language becomes very important. It's not that God is perfected. If he didn't create a world or he did create a world or some, um, some particular purpose completes his actions or something like that. To assume that about God, you know, he's already to make assumptions about the nature of the But do you believe that, he, like that. that Allah needed to create in order to... No, I'm saying he doesn't, he didn't need anything. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so if Allah could have just now, walked away from creation and said, I don't need this, I don't need people to uh, ask forgiveness of me. But but that, again, it goes back to what you what you take God to be. At the same time as well, he, he wanted to create. I mean... So we're going into the realms of divine motives, you see. So it becomes difficult if you're assuming um, that this is a this is a being who is, you know, maximally great, powerful, and has all the great making properties that philosophers talk about. Um, so he has those properties. Assuming that you take that kind of understanding, assuming it for the argument, if you are, then, um, you know, you're going to be restricted in how and what you can say about the divine. I'm just saying that I can't make these value judgments because it's in the realm of the divine motives and actions. Now, how could I know, you know, which world to prefer, you know, a world where, where there's Allah Jalla wa himself and then Allah plus the rest of creation, right? Which yeah. is better and which I would prefer. I'll need some criterion, right? To, 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 to decide which one and well, most people don't prefer pain suffering and definitely hell i think that's pretty safe to say but these it are your assumptions they may serve a purpose this is the whole point there that's a pretty good assumption <laughs> there may be justified no reasons. no <laughs> but these are your pre that's where we disagree with someone raise their hand who prefers hell i mean eternal so conscious pine torment concrete no nope. that's pine why i'm so worried yeah, about you. it and this is why you? you know knowing the realizing the seriousness of hell I want to share the message of truth to others to save myself and others from this. No, but nobody prefers to be there is my point. I yeah, but you're, you're saying a world in which there is hell as opposed to one that's not. And you're trying to say that everyone should say that the one where there is a hell is necessarily worse than one that where there isn't. But that's again, that's an assumption that we're not buying into. So you have to provide an argument for that underlying assumption that's underpinning your entire argument or a value well, criteria is, is is, and, and you don't have a criterion by which you can even judge per, for preferring one wet world over another well i can that's why i was asking the questions about the criterion from allah's perspective and, yes and obviously by the fact that he created that demonstrates your assumption that this well, world is necessarily worse is actually what did you wrong just say? The fact that he created, yeah, the fact that he created demonstrates yeah. this is that your th that your assumption that based on his character, maybe Jake, he would let me, let me finish, sir, that he would not have created 
is fundamentally flawed unless See, he's like yeah. schizophrenic. I mean, <laughs> but what are we because you about? said because you said because the fact he created shows that he did want this, did prefer this. But this is the question at hand. The problem of evil is a question that's posited by atheists or even non-theists of a different religion <clears throat> to to as an internal critique that maybe the God you're talking about doesn't exist. Yeah, but we already have arguments that get us to that God. I know. I understand there's a cumulative case, and you talk about other things. But on this issue alone, with the problem of evil, you can't look at it in a vacuum. That's you're the whole assuming point. <laughs> we're, we're we're now sentient beings looking at this issue and asking ourselves. Create. Maybe ask Allah didn't create. Okay, let me. Can I give you two statements? Hell exists. Yeah. Hell is real. Okay. And okay. uh, God does not exist. How can you feel the steps for me for those two statements? Uh, you can be really hard without changing the definition of hell. Well, this is this is the point. So the whole the whole um, you cannot you cannot say well. Some people say hell is reincarnation into a worm. Well, this is what I'm just about to come to. I'm just about to elaborate on 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 this this hypothetical argument. So this is why I'm saying that you cannot infer the non-existence of God um, from the existence of hell. Um, just like we argued for about an hour and a half, we discussed that you cannot you could. infer the, the non-existence of God from the existence of evil. So you got to fill in the steps. So whoever you, you is could. saying the argument, they got to fill in the steps and give their definitions. Yeah. And if one of the definitions of God is, if one, if 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 one of the definitions of God is a God that doesn't want anyone to go to hell, which I know you guys don't believe. But if you, someone had that definition and you could demonstrate or in some way, I don't know how, that hell is real and people go there, then you've defeated that God. Yeah? No, uh, because it doesn't, doesn't disprove God exists. It, you've just shown an argument that might be a rebutting defeater. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. It might be, but it's not clear. It has to, you have to show a logical contradiction for it to be a rebutting defeater. Yeah, it's but, the want, not want. That's the logical contradiction. I think we'll, we, when, we, when we see the argument, if I personally, I would like to learn better. Um, well, you've heard this before. Like, this is the possible worlds before creation type argument, which I'm no, the problem, familiar with. The problem Again, certain assumptions pro about metaphysics yeah. of possible worlds and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I've taken I've way the, too much of your time. I've I'm been sure. the problem, Pine Creek, is this, is that you're not, we're trying to deal with your argument. Now, you're trying to say, on the one hand, that your God is impossible. And we're saying, in order for you no. to say our God is impossible, you have to provide. You, you actually use that word impossible. You have to provide a logical argument to demonstrate a no, logical I... impossibility. Initially, you came on and you started saying, "I'm here just to make Muslims feel icky about their position." Abdurrahman said, said "Well, yeah." And then Abdurrahman explained the point, which is that well, that's just an appeal to emotion. Jake made the point as well. Uh, then said, "Look, okay, what's the actual?" Uh, logical contradiction what's the premise premise conclusion that we can look at to analyze whether there are logical contradictions you didn't really provide one per se well, yeah i did except no all you, well okay go on explain one more time explain it's the, what's here's the, the logical contradiction. this is and what you're saying this is a logical contradiction yeah no well if there is a logical contradiction but it's all steeped deep in definitions it's the want god uh, sorry allah wants and allah doesn't want and then abdul mentioned this earlier when he talked about the, i forget the words he used because he spoke a different language but there's different ways of he God's, decrees he decrees yeah. a cosmic right. reality that and, where, and I have heard, where people christians get the same answer choose where people can freely choose but at the same time he legislates for human beings to say that they should avoid 
sin and hellfire or sin and disbelief. Yeah. So there's no so there's no logical contradiction there. Well, so the point yeah. being is this: is a logical contradiction would be is that God wants to stop all disbelief, but disbelief exists. Therefore, God is either not omnipotent or he's not all knowing. Yeah, so that would be a logical contradiction. That's what. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to say this is what Islam fits into, but Islam doesn't fit into this. Well, I agree. If if Allah wants, Islam, if Allah wants because, people to go to hell, then because, there's no problem. Because yeah. So Islam says this, this is what Islam says. Islam says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the world, created heaven and hell, and created human beings with free will to the ability to choose. And then said to human beings that if you freely choose... I understand all that. If you freely choose to have belief in good actions, you go to paradise. If you freely choose to commit sin and disbelief, you go to hellfire. Yeah? Now, on that premise, I, that's why I asked you a very specific question. On that premise... What is the logical contradiction, or is it just an appeal to emotion? There's no logical contradiction at all okay. if if you guys believe that Allah wants people to go to hell. No, but what what did I just say here? I said God created human beings right. with free will. He created the universe or a creation with heaven and hell. Yeah. Right. And he God legislated that but you're focusing people, on I understand that God that. legislated, yeah, that that therefore whoever commits disbelief. Yeah, will be assigned to hellfire, right. and who has belief in righteous actions will go right. to paradise. You want to focus on the free will of humans, and I want to focus on the free will of Allah. That's the point. Right. So yeah. explain, so God, explain God wants, link the God... two. Yeah, link the two. Just sorry, Abdul. Link yeah. the two together. So you're saying that God could have created a universe in which no. human beings only choose to go to paradise. No, no, I'm not even saying that. I'm saying oh. Allah had two choices, create or not create. So let's assume if he creates, it, it would have to be exactly what you guys are describing. That's one option. The other option right. is don't don't create anything. Okay. And Those so are which two ones, options. And then so and and so if you're a Muslim and you say, oh no, Allah is okay. I mean, I know the language is a problem. Allah is okay with it, or he desires it, or he wanted to it, but he's not surprised by what happens with his creation. And so he created, knowing exactly what would happen, that some people would end up in hell. And you know what? He created anyhow. Yeah. That's okay. all I'm saying. So he, yeah, yeah, there's so, no contradiction. So where's the, the contradiction then? There is no so then, contradiction. So, so my goal... No, we circles, guys. No, but I pinecrete that your goal should be this. Your goal should be to be epistemically justified and consistent with the way you're trying to build an argument. Building yeah. an argument just appealing to emotion is not sincere, honest. Well, you could say it's sincere and honest in one perspective, but it's not ep epistemically justified to build an argument just to appeal to emotions because we can make any argument based upon emotions. It then becomes my emotions versus somebody else's emotions. You want to yeah. have, you want well, to be able to Sharif, justify the other, based the other, on reason and arguments, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but Sharif, the, the other problem is, is that you said you were doing an internal critique, but then it yeah. wound up being an external critique because, because of your fundamental presupposition of saying, well, surely anybody would agree that this world is not as good as this other world. No, I just talked about on one little thing. I said, anybody here who wants to spend eternity in hell, raise your hand. And Abdul even admitted earlier, he agreed. Okay, I know what you mean. No, we didn't. We never said. No. no, we never said. See, you're confusing the difference between an individual actually wanting to spend eternity in hell versus a world in which hell exists. The two aren't the same, and for you to act as if they are the same is a problem. 
the the bottom line is this there would be no disbelief no sin no pain no suffering no hell people in hell if allah never created and that's something everyone here agrees with. and and, and so yeah, what? Here, here's your and thesis what's statement the, what's the conclusion the conclusion the is that you have a choice to worship a god or not that's the conclusion yeah you do have a choice and yep. So what? And, and so, or so, or come or be open to the idea that maybe the God you believe in doesn't exist. Maybe there is a God, but not the one you believe in, because I guarantee because, you, I I guarantee this. This is one claim I'll I'll make. I'll guarantee that there's some Muslims listening here who are listening no, 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 to me. I'm, wait, I'm waiting for your argument, Pine Creek. How does that argument that you just presented? result in god does not exist or your god does not exist no i'm not if your god exists then this is what i was going to say i guarantee you some muslims who might be you know the weak type wavering on the fence are going to hear what we're discussing and say you know what that pine creek kind of makes sense the no, god allah is saying, a schmuck but i'm pine creek please don't use that language yeah uh pine is that creek, bad? i don't I, yeah it is yeah pine creek what i don't understand is where's your argument he doesn't, doesn't have about, one. He doesn't have uh, Where's one. your argument? Where My is argument your argument? is you, Allah you, you wants, said, Allah no, 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 doesn't hold want. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Thank you. You said, you said at the first, so, again, you're sort of changing. Initially, you said no. your God does not exist because, and then you were about to give an explanation. Then you start saying, well, some Muslims I didn't might say be that. wavering. Then, then you said Muslims might not be wavering. Now you're saying to me, God wants, God doesn't want. Right. That's another, that's right. I've been, given I said you an that answer. Like two times I've given you an answer a number of times, and you said, "Yeah, okay, that makes sense. It's not an internal critique." Then you said, yeah. "It's not a logical contradiction." Yeah, you're, I gave you your answer. Then you said, "Then you said it's not a logical contradiction." So, what exactly is the argument? Do you understand where the frustration is? The argument is Allah has free will, did not need to create, decided okay. to create, knowing exactly what would happen, and okay. it leads some people to hell. Okay, yeah. so what's that? So sorry, hold on. What what's that? What what's that problem? You and that lead, in... his creation leaded to to pain, no, no. evil, what, suffering, and some people going to hell. What what category is that? A logical contradiction? Is it an evidential? No, argument? I would say that's just. It? I would say that's a logical deduction of where the premises lead. That you but believe in a God it, who created, knowing it, what will okay. happen, was okay with it, whatever that means, but and that led that... to people going to hell. But what does that mean in terms of your argument against Islam and against God in general, or God, or the God that we? All, believe all in? I'm pointing what, out is what you believe. Yeah, but I'm pointing Muslims, out what you all, believe. But we as Muslims, we know what we believe. This is not a problem Are you sure? for us. Maybe you guys do, but not all of them. I'm sure you admit but that. I think. I think. No, can I just I say one thing? I just want to. We're, we're going to have to move on, guys. We're going to have to move on. Let me just say one thing. One thing, and then we'll move on. Because Pine Creek, what he's trying to do here is his thesis statement. Because he he didn't manage to to bring the position to a contradiction. So he's saying, well, maybe some people in the audience will see the fact that God wanted some people or willed for some people to burn in hell therefore you know they might have some kind of an emotional reaction to that and you know leave islam or something fine but you need to admit that it's an emotional reaction and and since we're appealing to emotions here i'd like to rephrase that statement that god willed for creatures who freely choose to be evil to justly get punished in hell if somebody has a negative emotional reaction to that then by all means but what sharif was just saying is that a negative emotional reaction or an argument for emotion 
can be valuable to some people, but we prefer evidence and reason. So maybe next time when you have an actual logical <laughs> argument and you have actual reasons to present Abdul, come and, on. and you, 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 you choose to do that instead of appealing to emotion, we can have a discussion. I'm not trying to be rude to you. I'm just saying that literally know, you're but, not presenting an argument. But you're not I, I'm when I'm hearing, and I'm hearing this from Sharif as well. It's like, it, I hear an overcompensation, like, you guys really need to show that what you believe is logical and it's full of evidence because we don't want to look stupid, right? Is, that's why I'm I'm sensing. No, we're, we're, taking, we're, taking, we're, we're taking you seriously, man. We're taking you seriously. Concrete. You're saying you make a logical Concrete. argument. We want you to present it. You want to say you want to make an argument. I came emotion, on here. You want to deal with it. I came but then on you're here not asking almost all questions. I made yeah, one okay. claim. That you made an emotional Pine appeal to the audience. You, <laughs> thank, you, thank you for coming Pine, on. Pinecrete. Pine Thanks for having me. Pinecrete. If you need to go, that's fine. But I just wanted to make this point as well. No, he Pine has to go whether he wants oh, okay, to go no, or not. Because <laughs> we have other people. <laughs> not okay, to we'll be go. rude, but we have other people well, waiting. Well, so. Come on, more interesting than those other people. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I'm not sure. I don't think <laughs> we'll so. find out. <laughs> Take care, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Okay. While he's off. Because I do really want to make this point, and hopefully Pine Creek's listening in the uh, in the chat uh, in the YouTube. The point is this: is that look, he's trying to present an emotional argument to try to so-called shake the foundations of some Muslims. Yeah, it's an emotional argument. That's it. That's all he's yeah. doing. It's not even an argument. It's just it's the same thing with AP. Same thing yeah, with it's just, AP. It's just an emotion. Now you can't go from saying I'm trying to make an internal critique. To then saying, well, I'm just trying to affect emotional people, uh, you know, emotional, uh, weak-minded Muslims or whatever it is. He needs to think about himself and look at his own epistemic foundations and how he builds his own, how he builds his own ideas up first and foremost. He should not be building his ideas based upon emotions and rejecting one proposition over another proposition just because it makes him feel icky. That's, yeah. you know, That's it's crazy. Silly. Yeah. And he said, oh, well, the Muslims here, they just want to be logical and rational. Well, yeah, of course. We don't <laughs> want to make arguments and have our beliefs based purely on emotion rather than logic and reason. Of course. Now, Doug, if that's what you want, then fine. Maybe that's why you're an atheist, because your arguments and your position is based on emotion rather than reason. And you know, the fact that you were kind of happy to admit that live on the show, I think th that's uh, a plus for us and not for you. But I think we need to go to the uh, the next guest here. We have uh, Caleb Jackson here waiting in the background. So welcome, Caleb. Hello, Jake and Abdul and everyone else. It's nice to see hey, your Caleb. faces. I know I'm so used to calling you just from voices. So this is nice. <laughs> Good to see you, Caleb. Good to see you as well. Yeah, I thought this was an interesting conversation. Um, you know, Doug is certainly, an, I haven't talked to him in person, but he sounds like a very interesting person to talk to, I'm sure. Where you what do you think, Kale? So, sorry, Kale, what did you think to his points? Because he was, on the one hand, he was trying to claim he was doing an internal critique. And then on the other hand, he was just, and saying there's a logical problem. And then on the other hand, he was just saying that I'm trying to appeal to people's emotions. Mm hmm yeah, so I think that there's kind of a middle ground. So on the one hand, I don't think his arguments were inherently successful. But I also am not, I don't necessarily dismiss emotional arguments because I do think when you're using something like, let's say, the moral argument or the argument for moral truths, a lot of that is emotional and it, it just intuitive. And that's not necessarily wrong that we have certain 
moral intuitions that are so strong that it would be very hard to reason out of them. And so I think that one could say that the argument for hell is one of those that it just seems to us so obviously wrong, perhaps more obvious than certain other elements of philosophy. Um, and that's why. And by, Do you think just, we have to? But we have to be upfront about it, right? That this is the argument I'm making. I'm making sure. an, emo, an argument from emotion. And I, I wanted to ask you a question because because mm -hmm. I know you're you're well read on this topic. What what do you think the role of like meta ethics and like you know your underlying a person's underlying theory of ethics plays in 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 these arguments? Because because you talked about emotions, and and sure, I agree that if I have an emotional response to something then that emotional response can be taken seriously. If I emotionally, uh, you know, feel icky about something and I'm, let's say, an emotivist, I can have reason to say that this thing is immoral because I think that uh, moral propositions are reducible to uh, emotional uh, um, reactions. So, uh, but then... I don't know what you could do apart from that, really, if you're going to say anything about how that reflects on reality. So how do you think a person's underlying ethical theory would basically influence his either the argument he's making or whether or or his defense of of, of the theistic position? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think that um, when you bring up meta ethics, that is a very hard area to get into. But I do think that uh, I would say most people would recognize that objective human value is real. Uh, how we interpret that may differ, but I, I think that it is very intuitive to us, even more so than the ideas of the external world, for example, that you know certain moral properties exist. And we can ask why that is. And you mentioned emotivism, uh, and part of that could be partially emotivism, but I don't think you can use emotivism alone to justify morality because uh, at least at least under a naturalistic view, because then you could just say, well, you know, our emotions are biochemicals in the brain. Why should we why are these chemicals any more significant than any other chemicals in the universe when it really it wouldn't be? It would just be saying why well, want it to be. But if you're going to appeal to motivism, then people can believe in God because it gives them comfort, even if it's not true, if you're going to just buy that. So I, I just don't think it's very successful under uh, naturalism. But I would say that um, Motions may be how we recognize certain moral properties, even if they're not identical to them. It's not so. So right. sorry, sorry to cut you off. So so yeah. So I agree that okay. So if it's on, on emotivism alone, you can't really say anything because it's just a subjective, uh, you know, emotion. But then is what you're saying basically this: that if you have like a realist view about morality, that uh, basically uh, uh, you know can be arrived at through either reason or intuition, emotion or whatnot, then you can make the argument that. Actually, I'm not sure what argument Pine Creek was trying to make, but then you can make the kind of argument then that to say that, okay, therefore, this creating this world or allowing this kind of evil is objectively uh, wrong. And, 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 and by to justify that, you bring in your, 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 your underlying theory of ethics in order to, and, and possibly maybe, maybe, maybe even defend it in order to, to, to drive your case home. Yeah, because essentially you're saying, um, I feel very, very strongly that this kind of world would be wrong. And then you're going to say, well, what, you know, what are you basing that off of? And I think it'd be hard to avoid some kind of theistic conclusion. If you really do hold to the hypothesis of, hypothesis of indifference, then 
what what is one world over any other world um, but i also don't necessarily like saying when people are like oh problem of evil just proves god exists because if evil exists god exists i will agree that if evil exists god exists but i think what paul draper and others do is they just change it from problem of evil to saying the hypothesis of indifference of saying if we look at the world and predict that the world the universe is indifferent then you'd expect some good things some bad things kind of randomness whereas if there was a god you wouldn't expect certain activities if god really cared about humans and wanted them to uh, have moral goodness, for example. Now, I don't think that works at the end of the day, um, but certainly the, I think it's harder to deal with specific examples than it is to do a general premise. I think we can look at the world generally and say, um, we can combine saying, well, free will may be a factor, soul making, and for specific examples, I might use more skepticism, uh, divine skepticism with those things in mind. Um, so it's not just, you know, begging the questions. If I were to say, you know, there is an invisible leprechaun and you asked for evidence and I was and I gave you all these reasons why maybe he wants to stay hidden from us. Uh, you know, those are logically possible, but they seem very ad hoc because we have no reason to think that the leprechaun would do so things. Uh, but if we have reasons to say, well, here's a, an evil situation that I can't explain very well. I could say, well, I don't know why God allows this specific situation, but because I know, or I'm sorry, because I have good reasons to think that he gives us free will, which might entail certain evils, and he gives us soul making, which might entail certain evils, even though I can't necessarily prove that those apply in this case, I can at least say that I'm warranted in thinking that God allows evil for good things. And so I can think that this situation may be one of those, even if I don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. So that I think is, is one you could do. Um, but the question I was going to, I have like 10 minutes on here, by the way, so I didn't want to take the show off. But the one of the questions I was going to ask, well, I had I had two. Um, one was, are you familiar with uh, Stephen Law's Evil God Challenge? And what are your feelings on that? And the second one was, uh, are there any, in Islam, is there any particular theodicy for animal suffering in particular? Because I think theodicy, usually we focus on humans, and that often goes under look when we look at evolutionary history and all the violence that, that goes with that. So um, those would be the two things. Yeah. So the first question, I, I, uh, I don't, brother, uh, Doctor Saf is gone, and he, he has, he yeah, said he, he had has a, a chapter. Unfortunately, he had to go. So I just want to let the audience know that he only had uh, until the top of the hour, which just passed. Um, so he had to go. But we thank him for joining us and coming on. So go ahead, Abdu. Yeah. So 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 the evil god challenge. I I um, uh, I, I don't I don't think it works. And I think uh, I think one of the argument. Uh, Coons makes for for uh, basically uh, at least the plausibility of the foundation of reality being uh, ultimately good uh, uh, sort of counters that argument uh, in the sense that we have reason to believe that the foundation of reality or the necessary being is ultimately good something that isn't deficient something that doesn't have any deficiencies something that is not contingent basically necessary couldn't possibly be evil uh, and and there's a lot of like uh, defenses of this in, in, in psychology like uh, you, can, you can provide evidence from psychology and, and, and how evil works and how uh, it, it is actually um, a deficiency in nature that leads to uh, uh, evil and uh, the, the necessary existence couldn't be deficient and is ultimately supreme so there, there, there couldn't be uh, he couldn't be evil basically uh, on the second question I don't know uh, brother Sharif you want to take that I don't know if you read uh, brother uh, Saf's work uh, if not maybe I yes. can answer from my own yeah yeah go ahead yes so I think there's uh, I think Saf mentioned the point anyway in terms of, I don't did you Caleb sorry did you hear uh, Saf's because uh, I asked that particular question to Saf earlier oh 
Okay, I'm. I was going and, in and out of the chat doing oh, stuff. Right. So okay. no, yeah. I'm yeah, sorry. No, if, yeah, if I, if I repeat something that's already been said, then you can just say that. And yeah, I can yeah. Watch the video. So, so some of the some of it is related to uh, skeptical theism. The idea that well, you know, we've only got a limited perspective, and that maybe on a cosmic scale, there is a there is a beauty, there's an aesthetic, even with animal suffering. In that perspective, we just have a limited perspective on that. The, first, uh, the second argument that he used, he said, well, you're saying it's gratuitous, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there is no reason yeah, for, for an evil to exist. And he gave the example of dropping a needle and saying that this nurse picks it up and says, oh, yeah. let me put it inside you, you know, uh, inject you. There's no bacteria because I don't see any bacteria. It doesn't necessarily follow, therefore there is no bacteria within that. Uh, the third aspect is, is that uh, God has complete dominion and therefore he has the right in order to control the, and uh, determine how creation works and that God, God is not beholden to a, a moral criteria beyond himself. So he has the basis to determine how functions, uh, how things should function in terms of uh, the world. Um, the third thing is, uh, which is probably where I look at this perspective, is that rather than going to a discussion about the odyssey in, in terms of gratuitous evil about animals, I look at it from the point of view of saying, look, do we have good reasons to believe in God? If we have good reasons to believe in God and we're limited creatures and God is unlimited, then there are certain things that I cannot fathom because I have only a very, uh, you know, a very narrow perspective of how the universe operates and how all of time would operate. Uh, and therefore, I can't use a you know, even a probabilistic argument to overcome my belief of a creator when I've got stronger arguments to affirm the belief in a creator. Yeah, so a couple of things on that. Um, I think that with skeptical theism, it can work on certain aspects, but I think you have to make sure that you have an inference. I know you mentioned that at the end of having a cumulative case, and that's certainly important, but I think with like Weikstra's example of noceums and like needles and bacteria, one, I guess one th critique you could do is that, well, we, we've been able to observe bacteria under microscopes, so we know they exist, and so we can infer, even though I can't see them with the naked eye, I can explain to you why I can't see it, because, well, you know, the microscope is just... I don't have them with me, but if I did, I would probably be able to see them. Um, but if I were to say to you, well, um, how do I know that there's not an elephant in your room? Well, you could say, because I don't see one. Well, that would be yeah. a pretty good argument because we know typically elephants don't require any kind of special things to see them. You can just look at them and it's there. It's obvious. So I guess I, I think that just depends on in one in the situation of bacteria, you, you can explain why you don't know. And in some cases and not others, but, and this was brought up earlier of like, you know, God just not telling us of, well, here's the reason. And I, and what I would say to that is um, as far as why God isn't, why, you know, why isn't that when a woman is attacked, God appears and says, well, here's why this happened to you and, and gives her the whole thing. Uh, and, and I, and I talk about this a little bit in, in my book on the subject, but I, I call it the Oedipus defense because in Greek mythology, you had Oedipus who, when he was a child, his parents were told the prophecy of he's going to kill his dad and marry his mom. And so they try to avoid this yeah. by putting him in the woods and then long story And what short, he did it ultimately yes. ended up. So if God, so it might be the case that if God were to tell us, hey, actually this will allow, this will be, bring such and such good, um, the person knowing that information might create a self-fulfilling prophecy that ends up making something worse in the long run. If I tell yeah. you, oh, well, um, the, per the reason this person's going to shoot up a school and it's going to lead to this good, maybe that'll lead to people not interfering in a certain way and lead to worse things in the long run. So God may have good reasons not to tell us specific details. Um, but as, as far as that, how that pertains to animal suffering, I think it's just more difficult because with human suffering, we do have 
many of those inferences. We can see that humans have objective value. We can see soul making, we can see free will, but none of those seem obvious with animals. It doesn't seem as if animals have as much value as humans. It doesn't seem as if animals have free will in the same sense that we do. It doesn't seem that animals really can build moral character. So when we're looking for possible reasons why God might have it with them, it's a bit more difficult to see. Including yeah, agreed. I agree. I understand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're right. And I think the, the the issue is is about in terms of the needle pulling on the floor is that do you, do we have the total awareness of the reality? I think that's the question. So when it comes to the issue of saying something's good or something's evil, do we have the total awareness of the reality? And the answer would be no in both situations. And because there's no in both situations, then you can't move from that to the inference, therefore, God is evil and therefore God doesn't exist or and omnibenevolent God doesn't exist. Yeah? So I think that's the problem. The problem is saying that you don't have the total understanding of the particular reality at hand. Therefore, how can you make this? So as an example, one particular argument that might be used for animal suffering is that animals don't suffer and feel pain in the same way that human beings do. Yeah. So that's one possible argument or explanation that people could provide. Yes, they may have responses that we would infer from our first person subjective experience that they're suffering, but they don't feel it or sense it or have that retrospective sensation of that particular suffering in a way that a human being does. And therefore you can't infer it as the same form of suffering that human beings uh, would face. Yeah, that's, uh, um, that's Michael Murray's uh theodicy in his book yeah. uh, nature red tooth and claw and i think that i mean there are scientific issues with that because you can look at cerebral cortexes and especially with higher primates where they do feel they have awareness of pain and stuff but you could always say well it's with the soul of the animal and the soul is different and yeah of course we can't falsify that so you know maybe it only looks like they're really in pain but they're not so but not, I, even, not even looks like but we had a con we had a stream about consciousness and we explained that there is no ne there's nothing necessitating uh brain states to cause particular experiences. That's mm -hmm. just a correlation, that's not causation. So it's not the case that science proves causation in this situation that because they can say, well, these things light up, therefore it results in this. So there is still something further uh, mm -hmm. that's you know why well you know we wouldn't we wouldn't we're not materialist on a, on the you know on the mm -hmm. view of consciousness. If I could, if I could say take... some I can say something to Caleb about that no no because because uh, that no seem objection that uh, I brought up earlier. Um, Rose, I think Roe Ro responded to it by saying that, um, well, if if in in the case of the bacteria, as you mentioned, right, uh, you, you would expect it a specific. Uh, you would expect that to be the case, but in the case of an all loving God, you would expect Him to reveal to certain creatures like he mentioned the little girl that suffered for five years um you would expect him to reveal to her uh, uh why she's suffering and in, in the case of the girl like in the case of humans we have a, a soul building uh, uh theodicy for example but uh, in the case of animals it's a bit more challenging but uh, i i think i think the challenge here i i think what what roe says is that uh, on the existence of an all-loving god you would expect for the the suffering of animals not to appear gratuitous basically and i'm i'm not so sure that's true i mean i'm i'm not so sure how mm -hmm. i would be able to see the purpose of god in allowing animals to suffer so so i mean i just i just don't know how that would work uh, and i i think a lot of a lot of the appeal a lot of the appeal for uh, the problem of animal <laughs> suffering 
is about is about numbers, right? The evolutionary problem of evil is is basically mm. about the amount of suffering. <laughs> And and uh, I think part of the response to it should be, uh, apart from this point that you know um, I I don't know what it would look like for the suffering of an animal that I I cannot relate to, in any way shape or form, I, I don't know what it would look like for it to appear not gratuitous, right? So its mere appearance of gratuitous isn't sufficient because I I wouldn't know what evidence to expect uh, uh, for it. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I, I and I'm gonna have to leave in just a few minutes. So let me just uh, give my thoughts on that real fast. Uh, like, and of course, I'm playing devil's advocate because I'm not an atheist. Yeah. to know that. But uh, I guess what they would say is, first of all, when we're inferring, you know, animal pain stuff, you could give that argument for, you know, the other minds. I, I can't. I don't know that you have thoughts or emotions. Uh, the best I can do is say, well, I have thoughts, and you seem to be acting extremely similar to how I do when I have thoughts, and so I can infer that you do, in fact, have thoughts like I do, even though I can't. So I guess we could, they would say we can do the similar things with animals. So yes, we can't maybe prove it for certainty, but it's a, it's an inference, but uh, more importantly with the, um, Oh, I forgot. Oh, you said, what would it look like if it wasn't gratuitous? Well, I guess like the, in, the inclination is when we look at passages in you know, Abrahamic texts about garden of Eden, where all the animals look like they're vegetarians. And maybe uh, if they do have to die, they die peacefully in their sleep. You know, you might not have predation or you might not have animals getting tumors or, um, I, I can recall just watching videos where, you know, a crocodile tears a zebra apart and rips out its intestines in really gruesome ways. Uh, I think it's not too hard to imagine a world where that doesn't happen and where all animals are either, you know, we had the lion and the lamb in Isaiah or how it's supposed to look in the new creation after the resurrection. So, um, I, I, I personally, yeah, yeah, I, I, I yeah. see what you're saying, but, um, I mean, I mean, I agree with you, first of all, about the inference part, right? That, I mean, at least we can make the inference that they are having that, that kind of experience. Uh, although there is empirical evidence that not all animals suffer in the same way we do. Yeah. But then, uh, so, so, so the thing about gratuitous suffering is that, um, I mean, uh, you're right. So, so it could, there could have existed a world where animals just magically vanish sure and and and, and in that case i think uh, it, it would be uh, easier to, to 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 infer that you know there is an all-loving god i can grant that i can grant that if we were all created in heaven then it would seem that way sure but uh, I, I think on a more practical level when i'm looking at this world and the way it operates uh, I, I i don't know what evidence i would accept uh, what evidence I would expect, uh, given the workings of, of the natural world, for there to be, uh, if, if I were, uh, you know, if there were to be non-gratuitous suffering for animals, what what uh, evidence would I expect in, in, in that is in line with the theodicies that we form on a human level? Because on a human level, it's all about purpose, right? It's all about purpose and intentionality and, and you know, uh, destiny and, and stuff like that. But we don't know that for animals, right? <laughs> So, 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 uh, I, I'm, I'm not so sure. Given the way the natural world works, uh, I'd be able to expect uh, anything else. And, and, and this again can, can, can backfire. That's what I was mentioning to Dr. Saf earlier for making design arguments. Well, the atheist can say that you wouldn't know what to expect. Uh, you know, if, if there were a natural origin. You wouldn't know that, that you would you would you wouldn't see this kind of world, or you wouldn't know what a chaotic world would look like. I, I get that, and I think I think at the end of the day, right? It, it, at least we have to admit that the suffering of animals is seemingly gratuitous. I mean, we have to concede that part, and and uh, and uh, maybe maybe we can even concede that it provides some 
epistemically some reason for people to make the inferences they do make about God. Uh, but I, I, uh, I think it doesn't make a very strong case considering the cumulative evidence. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're, the, the defenses, I think, work. And the theodicies as a positive case for why God would permit e evil, I think they work for the theist. Probably not going to convince the, the, you know, your biggest skeptic out there. And it might even give them reason to disbelieve in God. But uh, I think all in all, uh, um, it, you know, uh, sorry, one last thing. All in all, if they're looking at it phenomenologically in the sense that, you know, me experiencing this evil in the world that seems to be gratuitous, you know, gives me reason to believe in God. And let's say the theist says me experiencing this good in the world gives me reason to believe in a good God. Well, I would grant that for both the atheist and the theist on a subjective level. And, 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 and I would say basically what Swinburne says, that you are justified in believing your seemings, what seems to be the case for you until you're provided with a defeater. What I do think is the case is that the atheist who, you know, phenomenologically can, 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 can infer the, uh, uh, or can, can, can believe in the non-existence of God because of his experience of suffering does have defeaters for his position. So that's when it gets into a, a cumulative case. Uh, and, and, and I think that the atheist, the, the theist doesn't. So um, okay. I, right. I guess, I got to go. Thank you for, so much, y'all, for having me on. Hopefully, I'll be able to pop in for other things. But this was, this was fun. So, yeah, if I can plug in my book right before I go, uh, Amazon, yeah, sure. Caleb Jackson, Searching for a Solution to Suffering. It is from a Christian perspective and not an Islamic one. So I'll put that out yeah. there. But just a universalist you know, Christian perspective, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, thank you. Well, if you want to have a talk on hell, we can do another show. But yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so everyone watching, read the Christian literature, read the Islamic literature, and just find which one you find to be more helpful with either. So. Thanks for that, guys. Appreciate thanks. It. All right. Caleb. Thanks, Caleb. Bye. See you later. All right. So we've got Thinker Man next. He's been waiting for a while. Welcome. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. So uh, the problem I have uh, with the problem of evil is that the only problem that I can think of or the only evil that I can think of that I think that it's unjustifiable and unexplainable is God uh, predestining people to go to hell. So I lay out the argument and to do that, I'm, I'm, I will show basically that uh, free will cannot exist. And therefore, uh, it, it is unjustifiable to send people to hell. So it goes like this, that if God knew before the creation of any human, what he, uh, he is going to do. Therefore, um, he could not have done otherwise because if free will exists, then predicting it, predicting choice is impossible. It's logically impossible. Therefore, free will does not exist. And therefore, God created uh, the evil person evil. Therefore, he had no other choice but to do evil. And then to punish it, it is uh, an unjustifiable evil. So that's the uh, best example I can think of that of an evil that I, I just can't explain away. Yeah, so we don't we don't believe. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are with Qadr, uh, but we do not believe that God just predetermined everything uh, willy nilly. Uh, so I don't know. I think it's based on a misunderstanding of the doctrine of of Qadr. So there are four general principles, or, or it's based on four things, which is uh, basically God's knowledge, 
so that he knows what's going to happen. That's one thing. It's the writing down of what's going to happen. So he writes it down. Uh, it's based on his will, meaning that uh, he wills it to happen, what will happen, what doesn't. And then he creates everything. So, But there's nothing really within that that necessitates that God predetermines everything in the sense that you do everything because God predetermined you to do it as if you're a robot. So I think it's just based on a slight misconception of uh, the Islamic doctrine of, you know, Qadr. Right. Uh, so, Jake, my point is that uh, there is no logical way to predict what choice the human would make if he was free to make that choice. Why? And yeah, because uh, if, if he was free to make that choice, that means there is no cause for him making that choice. No explanation for why he made that choice. And if there's no cause, no why explanation. Would you say that? Why would you say that? Yeah, because he has free will. He has the ability to choose between multiple so, options. So if, so if I have a reason for choosing something, that means I don't have free will? No, uh, it's that nothing makes you choose it makes you choose it forcibly yeah. makes you choose it yeah whether yeah. it's an internal I could, or I could i could have an internal reason which is prior to my will which informs my will but doesn't necessitate it and i still have free will yeah if it doesn't necessitate it then there's always the option that you might not do it and then therefore you can't predict it with 100% accuracy why would you say that listen so if x causes y right a hundred percent of the time, then X is no. Uh, like no, we're not saying that. We're, so what? it's the same thing with God, uh, with uh, creatures, with free will. You could even argue uh, quantum indeterminacy if you take a certain view of quantum mechanics in which you think it's indeterministic. You can have a cause or explanation of something that is non-necessitating so you can have an explanation of something that doesn't necessarily entail what it's explaining so those are two different things right so the problem would be that if it doesn't necessi necessitate it that means that there is a probability that it might not happen correct uh from our perspective but god who's all-knowing he knows what is actually going to occur yeah, that, that's my point exactly. If he knows what's going to occur with 100% accuracy, then that necess necessitates it. If he knew no, it like no, 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 but you're, you're looking at it as if God, uh, it's going to happen because God knows it instead of God knows it because it's going to happen. Those are two different things. Uh, listen, so the point, the point is, uh, it's actually a very subtle point. The point is that there, there is no way for God to predict it if if uh, it wasn't necessary so if there yeah, was but like that's, that's your that's your assumption though you have, you're not you're just stating it you're not really giving an argument for it the argument is that it, like like i said before if x causes y necessarily then it's easy to predict that if x then y right but if x occurs and y cannot occur as well and and there's no real explanation for why y did not occur or it's just prob probabilistic well, or the, the explanation is the will of the free creature yeah, so that just pushes it one step back why is the will of the creature to make that choice and not a different choice it's primitive mm -hmm. sorry 
It's primitive. You don't go further than that. Why? We can always ask the question. No, you don't. The the act of the will, for example, if I have a reason, if I have a reason for performing a particular action, I can appeal to that reason, but that reason, although it may be in some sense an explanation of what I choose, it doesn't necessitate what I choose. So I'm still struggling to understand why you think that this that God's knowledge somehow of what I do necessitates from the beginning, meaning prior to creation, that this is going to occur. I, I still don't grasp that point. Um, I, th I think I explained it. I, I, I don't know what to do other than repeat myself that there would be no way to predict it unless, it nece unless the cause necess necessitates the effect. If it doesn't necessitate the effect, let's say let's say if X happens, A can happen, B could happen, and C can happen, and there's no uh, explanation for uh, for why A, A would happen or B yeah, would but, happen. Or but remember when I brought up what the the four main elements of qadr are? So it ha you have the knowledge, so Allah knows what's going to happen. Then you have the writing of it down, meaning now once it's written down whatever is written down will happen, right? But it doesn't happen right. necessarily. And also God's knowledge of those things isn't necessary in the sense that if we were to freely will to do something else, then God's knowledge would reflect that and hence his writing of what is going to happen. What, what is actually written down would also reflect it. So it's just a matter of priority, which is primary and which is secondary in the ordering. Uh, yeah, but uh, in, in, now you're assuming that God observes our choices and then writes it down. But the order is actually reversed. He first no, writes it down. No, no, then, no, 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 no. I said that God has knowledge of it. Based on his knowledge, he then writes it down. But what is the knowledge based on? The knowledge is based on the actions of the free creatures of what we are going to do. He doesn't, he doesn't determine what we are going to do in that sense. No, he knows it because he knows what the free creatures are going to do, and then he writes it down. Uh, Jake, would you agree that God predicts our choices? Would you? Are you okay with that sentence? No. In the sense of what? What do you mean predicts? Like it has not happened yet. And he ha uh, predicts that it is going to happen before the event actually happens. No, he knows what's going to happen. So not he doesn't. A prediction. Pre it's not a prediction. It's not a prediction. He knows what's going to happen. He's not like, oh, I'm pretty sure Sharif is going to stay on the stream for 10 more minutes. Uh, no, he knows when this stream is going to end, for example. Okay. Uh, how does he know it? Is how does he know it? Because he's all knowing. Right, that's not an explanation. Uh, how, how is that not an explanation? What do you are? What type of mechanism are you looking for? I don't understand. Yeah, yeah some sort. Yeah. Yes. Is this your? So your argument is basically God knows what's going to happen in the future, uh, uh, based upon some sort of prediction. The prediction is hundred percent. So therefore, God's knowledge is causative. Yeah, yeah, I think you get it. You you started off. Originally. Well, we all, we all, we all get it. Jake Jake gets it. The issue is this. Is though is that is that God's knowledge is not pred is not predictive, is not mm -hmm. God's knowledge is complete. 
meaning that he know already knows what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, it's uh, it's like for example, not the, yeah, it's not causative. And so, if it, like for example, if I watched uh, you know a replay of a football match and I know the score at the end of it, my knowledge is not causative of the score, even though the football match would not have a result other than what my knowledge is. Right. Uh, so I think that's where uh, we're having a disagreement because I think that the only possible way to know uh, the the choice is if it was causative. If it was not causative, yeah. then I cannot think of a way to for God to know it. Can right. you provide an argument for that? Uh, yeah, that, that's the whole point of what I said to you from the beginning. That's an assumption that you have, but you haven't given an argument for why that is necessarily true. Yeah, so you're saying that it is impossible for God to have foreknowledge of something unless uh, for, uh, foreknowledge of something that is arbitrary, right? That is an arbitrary free choice. Can you provide a logical argument that demonstrates that impossibility? Yeah, so uh, I think I'll try like this. If it, if it does not have a cause, then or an explanation for why that thing necessarily happens, then you cannot predict it. Yeah, but why, that's an assertion. Where's the argument? Why? Why? First of all, again, God's knowledge isn't predictive in the sense that God has knowledge of the future. Right now, you're trying to say he couldn't possibly have knowledge of a free choice because a free choice is arbitrary, right? So right now, I want you to provide an argument for that if you could. Otherwise, it's just it's just an assertion that we disagree with. God could know something it could have foreknowledge of something that is arbitrary. The main thing is that uh, God knows before and the event happens later. So that, yeah, that would necessitate... So you got Karen, Karen. Yeah, I was saying that because it happens before and the event happens later, there has to be a method or a way for God to know it before it happens. And no, uh, unless no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Finkerman, I don't mean to interrupt you. It, no, no, go ahead. It, it seems like what you're doing is this: is you're saying that you like you've got a scientist, and a scientist has seen that if I drop a ball, the force of gravity pulls it to the earth and it falls down, and so he understands the mechanism, because he understands the mechanism that he gets not maybe not that ball, but maybe he gets a bottle and he drops it, and because he understands the mechanism, he understands what's going to happen. God's knowledge is not like that. It doesn't have to know the conditions in order to be able to make predictions. God can simply know what your free choices are. Without, explan without an explanation of how he knows it. Without without any an he doesn't, God doesn't need an explanation of knowing the condition, the preconditions to your choices in order to know what your choice is going to be. God can just simply know your free choice. But that would be like saying that that it's it's all it's akin to saying like he magically knows it. No, it's not magically knows it. We're saying God is omniscient means that he knows all true propositions. Yeah, and one of those like, true propositions is what you're going to choose. So if if, the, if there's no mechanism by which God knows, if there's no explanation for how God knows, then I think it's very similar to saying that God knows it magically. God knows no, him. no, no. You see, you see, the thing is, first of all, it depends on what you mean by mechanism. So there is 
a way in which God knows, uh, right? It's not that uh, it's it's not that there is no, uh, you know, way in which God knows that we don't understand. So there is a reality to God's omniscience that we don't understand. And in order for you to say that it is impossible for an omniscient being to know the future action of a free agent, all, all we're saying is you're going to have to present an argument for that. Your assertion here is, I guess what your argument relies on is the the, the assertion that it is impossible to foreknow something unless it is, you know, it, 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 it happens within a deterministic causal series right and and i just i don't um, i mean okay i i maybe i see some intuition there from a human perspective but i just don't see a logical argument i don't see how that's necessitated so it would all depend on whether you agree with the fact that uh, you there has to be a mechanism or a process through which god knows i think you said that there there, there is uh, there, there is, there is a reality. What, what, there is a reality to it. Think, man. What do you mean by mechanism? Oh, basically, a, a way or a method by which God knows. That, that's what I mean. Okay, so let me maybe make it more specific. Are you saying mechanism is that God knows something that has not come to be because He knows the causal chain and what it will lead to? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Right. So we're saying that when we talk about God, we're not talking about God knowing, you know, uh, a causal chain. That's not how we know it. Because it because even in, in even in your example, your your the example that you gave, you're basically saying he knows all causal chains, all realities, mm -hmm. all possible effects. Yeah. So he has this aspect of knowledge, uh, the scope of which we can't comprehend. But you're gr you're granting that he has that scope of knowledge. Now, we're saying we believe that he has a scope of knowledge, that he knows the future choices of human beings without even having to know the causal change that led to the person's uh, choice. The scope, you're, you're trying to say that second thing that I said is impossible, but yet you're saying that the first thing that you're granting is possible. And you have to show why the second thing that I'm saying is impossible. So, so my, my opinion is that... Uh... Within the Islamic paradigm, there is no free will, and that's how God knows. <laughs> yeah, but now, but now you're just asserting it, though, bro. I mean, come on, that's not that was just an assertion. That's yeah. true. The, the, the argument was which I made before that was that was just a, like my opinion. Uh, which Sharif, uh, I, I was telling to Sharif, the argument was the one which I made before that there has to be a d causal chain for God to know beforehand. If He was observing, then there was no problem. And then if you say that, no, there's no, he, he just knows. And then uh, I, why I just can't, don't. Why, why can't he, quote unquote, intuitively know with just an intuitive grasp of what will occur? There's nothing incoherent about that whatsoever. Yeah. So Thinkerman, God, all possible worlds are grounded in God, as it, which means that God has knowledge of all possible worlds. There are possible worlds with free agents. So God has knowledge of those possible worlds because you know, he's the only one as the necessary being who can actualize them. So if he has knowledge of these possible worlds and some possible worlds has free agents, then it follows that he knows the acts of the free agents because he knows all every possible world. So um, there's nothing incoherent about that. What you're asking for is a mechanism, which I don't see why. I mean, this is 
you, you need to, you need to provide a logical argument for why because what you're saying is that it couldn't be the case that God no, has foreknowledge of a free choice. But if if, you, yeah. if you're making Thank that you. as a logical argument, you have to you have to provide the yeah. argument. And think, so man, does it, it? It sounds like you're making a very anthropomorphic. Somebody said in the in the chat as well, which I agree. You're making a very anthropomorphic view of how to know things. You're saying this is how I would know things, therefore this is how God knows things. Mm. <clears throat> so the best argument that I can make, and I don't think I can do any better than this, is that I uh, I can show logically that there cannot be a mechanism. That's all I can show, that there cannot be a mechanism to know uh, uh, the free choice uh, beforehand. Well, okay, let me, give you one, let me give you one mechanism, yeah? Uh, hmm. God's knowledge of past, present, and future is, is at one moment. He knows what's past, present, and future. Yes, so you, you mean that it's like turning the pages of a book, he, he sees what's going to happen in the future, so basically, he's just no, he's observed. Let's say B, B theory. Let's say B theory of time. He sees all B theory of time. So he sees past, present, and future. You know B theory of time, don't you, think, man? Yeah, yeah, I have an idea, but uh, the, it doesn't work because you have to say that God created uh, creation, and there was an instant in which there was no creation. Then you would have to believe that uh, in the instant in which there was no creation, at that moment, God did not know. Uh, what the choice? No, he, he did know. He knew it was going to happen. You're yeah, that, you're just saying that he couldn't possibly know what's going to happen unless he necessarily determined everything that to happen. And I don't see how that follows. I mean, it's just it's just an assertion. Like I said, so I, I can change the argument to make it such that there can be no mechanism by which God can know. Why does he need to... a mechanism? Why can't he yeah, just yeah. intuitively know everything that's going to happen? What's what's incoherent in that statement? It, you may you may not be able to fathom it as a uh, finite creature with limited knowledge. I mean, we could grant that that you may not be able to fathom. Well, oh, how does God know this? I mean, what is he thinking? Yeah, I can understand that. But in terms of saying that he couldn't possibly know future events intuitively, I don't see why not. Mm. So uh, the, the intuitive part, I think I'll give a think over it. But uh, what do you guys think about the mechanistic part? Do you, do you guys agree that there can be no mechanism by which God knows? Well, I don't know what you mean by mechanism anyway in that conversation. A mechanism would be just any any way, any possible way through which he, he, know, he, he can know. See, here's the thing. We say yeah. that God knows it because he's omniscient. Now, you're asking for a further explanation of why God is omniscient. We could give arguments that get us to a God that is omniscient, but then asking further about why God is omniscient or how God is omniscient, that's, that's an entirely different story. And we can speculate as to exactly how God knows a particular proposition or whatever, but that's just speculation. The fact of the matter is, if we arrive at a creator that is omniscient, unless we can point out the incoherence in the very nature of something being omniscient, then we have no reason to doubt the arguments that get us there to begin with. And so, I mean, that's just where we are at this point. We're kind of spinning circles. We have a few more guests. So unfortunately, 
Um, I'll let you make like a final statement, but then we're going to have to move on. Yeah, I think the final statement would be that uh, I, I think I accept your point and uh, I'm going to think about it. <laughs> That's cool. it. Okay, Appreciate well, you're, you are a thinker, so go ahead and think okay. about it. But uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, I know you waited a long time, so uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, thinker, man. Take care. All right, take care. All right, so we've got a few more people waiting here. We're going to go to Mr. Matthew. He's been waiting a little bit, too. So we've got like four people, so you're going to have to – I know everybody's been waiting a long time, but – we're going to have to hit on some of these uh, pretty quickly. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to spend like a half hour with everybody. So uh, welcome, Matthew. Hi, guys. This is my second time on. As you guys know, I'm a huge fan of the show, and I always comment. Thanks so much for having me again. No problem. Um, Thanks. Thanks, Matthew. I will try to be brief. Um, I'm a trial lawyer by trade, so I know how to get to the points quick and get to the conclusions and go straight through it. Um, it's a shame because you guys brought up Cotter in the last one, and I, I, I did want to talk about that. It's not what I originally wanted to talk about, but maybe if we have a little more time, we can get to that after I present my argument that I pre-prepared. Because um, I really just want to pick your brains about Cotter because I've read the Quran, and like passages like 2.6 through 2.12 really seem to suggest that there is predestination and no free will. It actually says that God is being active in creating the future. So, But we'll, we'll get to that, maybe. Um, so here's my... Uh, Back to the topic, problem of evil thing. And I'm, I've got Quranic verses for each one of these, but you might will probably agree with me anyway. So it's, it's, it's a thought experiment, it's an actual experiment, and it's a logical argument. So um, Allah is all-powerful and all-knowing. Quran 1670 says that. Uh, Allah wants to be worshipped. Quran 2014 says that. Allah knows the future. Quran 87, 2 through 3 says that. So based on those premises, let's try something. Allah, I am an atheist. Please appear before me now and make yourself known so that I can believe in you. Where is he? What was that second verse you that you quoted? Yeah, second, yeah. What was the second one? 20-14, uh, he wants to be worshipped. Oh, 2014. I should have also said that Allah um, is is active in human so, affairs. So the verse in Surah Taha, it says, Indeed, I am Allah. There is no deity except me. So worship me and establish prayer for my remembrance. This is a verse related to Musa, Moses, Musa alayhi salam. So Moses, you know, the burning bush, went to it. God revealed these, verse, uh, these words to him uh, and explained to him that he was a prophet and then explained that this particular verse. So it goes. So basically, and when he came to it, he was called. I to the burning bush. Oh Moses, indeed I'm your Lord. So remove your sandals. Indeed you are in a sacred valley of Tua, and I have chosen you. So listen to what is revealed to you. And then this is the verse fourteen. Indeed I'm Allah. There is no deity except me. So worship me and establish prayer for my remembrance. In and then the next verse. Indeed the hour is coming. I almost conceal it so that every soul may be recompensed according to what, uh, to that which, uh, to that for which it strives. Yeah. You interpret so, that differently than I do, that he wants to be worshipped? Or do you just, I mean, we don't even need to no, go to I'm Christ. Saying, you I'm believe saying, that Allah wants to be worshipped. I'm saying that verse, that verse specifically was a, uh, was an instruction to Moses. Yeah. I'm just saying that verse was about Moses. If you want to say, does, does God that want... Matter? 
because I think your argument is your argument was trying to say that God creates everything. God wants us to worship Him. Therefore, uh, I should be given evidence for God or something like that. Is that your well, argument? Um, well, let's just back up. So He's omnipotent, right? So yeah. it would be of no inconvenience to Him to say hi to me right now. And he's omniscient, so he knows we're having this conversation. So yeah. why doesn't he appear in front of me and say hi? If he doesn't do it, then I'm potentially going to burn in hellfire forever. And it would be of zero inconvenience of him just to say hi. Right. So that's that's an evil God because he will not lift a finger to help me. No, you see what you're doing is you're presupposing a number of things, aren't you? You're presupposing that the reason God wants you to worship him such that he has not given you free will and such that he's created the universe in which you don't have the free will to choose not to worship. So he's given you that. So God wanted you to have that free will. God wanted you to have the ability to choose between guidance and misguidance. Yeah. Now, if okay, you're well, all, I, I don't agree with any of that. So I don't agree with free will. But even if I have free will, it, 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 it's not he's not presenting me the evidence. So if I'm a, I'm a juror sitting in a courtroom, I, I have free will to decide guilt or innocence. But I want to see the evidence. Okay, that's so not that's not forcing me to believe in him. That's so you, just showing me the evidence. So, so you want evidence that God exists? It would be of no inconvenience of him to appear before me right now if he's omnipotent. No inconvenience. Okay. So, yeah. So one evidence would be the fact that the universe is continuing. He's omniscient, so he knows exactly the type of evidence that would convince me. Well, you know, you could be the case that God actually, if he does reveal himself to you, you would still disbelieve. And he knows that you would do that. Because no, there's other reasons. Yeah, omnipotent but if he and is omniscient. omniscient. No, but I'm saying this is my point. If he is omniscient, he may know that even if he was to reveal himself, because I don't know, and I don't think you know, Matthew, that actually if he was to reveal himself in a way, yeah, uh, that is, you know, according to his majesty and nature, that it would still convince you. You mean to we tell me that if right now we, I beckon uh, Allah to appear before me, and if a giant magical creature appeared before me, you don't think I would believe in him? Uh, you know, if a giant magical creature appeared before me in my room, I wouldn't believe that's God. I believe it's a contingent thing. Because it would be oh, contained, no, it would be limited. contingent thing either, but that's a whole other it, Because it would be limited, it would be finite. Uh, yes, but I, specific, I specifically asked be... for Allah. I specifically asked for Allah. So it's strong yeah. evidence that, that it's a cause and effect relationship. And he, his lack of appearing is evidence of his non-existence because yeah. he intervenes in human affairs. He wants to be worshipped. He could appear because he's omnipotent. He knows we're having this conversation, so he's omniscient. So what? Although those are the premises. The conclusion is he should appear before me and say hi. He does not. That is evidence of his non-existence. So there's your no, yeah. No, no. There's so, your argument. Yeah, that's that's not really an argument. So is is it that if he doesn't do that, it'll be unjust for him to punish you? Is that what it is, or well, is that he's conclusion? omnipotent? So it's it is well. Let's think about this. He's of it's of no no no. no I, I I heard I heard the argument. Right. I get, so because I get that it's part. no inconvenience of him, he will not lift so, a finger to help me. Not burn in hell for all eternity. That makes him evil. So listen, Matthew, Matthew, you, you, uh, in order to burn in hell for an eternity, you have to be a true disbeliever in the sense that you uh, see the truth and you reject it. So it's what not that it's not. One, one second, one second, one second. So if you sincerely 
are sincerely seeking the truth, but it is not presented to you or an adulterated version of it is presented to you and you reject it because of that, then you're not really rejecting the truth because you haven't seen it. So just at least in theory, that answers your concern right there in the sense that if you don't see the evidence, well, keep looking and be sincere. If you are sincere, then you should you, you have nothing to worry about. But again, I, you propose a God that intervenes in human affairs, correct? But we, yeah, also but what, 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 we, we also we also propose a God that doesn't punish people except when a messenger is sent, meaning the evidence is given. So if you're, if you're God saying, that wants to be well, well, why would he only send one messenger fourteen hundred years ago? That's been a long time. Can't he check in again? But what's your There's argument? Is a lot of because Matthew, you th you seem to be just making an argument that all this just seems inconvenient to you i'm i'm at, what is the is is the <laughs> argument that one second, one, one, one second. yeah yeah l l yeah let me try to steel man your argument is your argument that god could present conclusive em evidence to you but he doesn't and therefore it is unjust for him yeah. to punish you so in hell the argument yeah. of divine so what i'm saying yeah yeah exactly i know so what i'm saying in response to that is that the Muslim position, because you were quoting the Quran, so again, uh, you're doing an internal critique, I assume. Mm -hmm. The Muslim position is that you are not accountable by to, uh, uh, to that which you do not know. You need to receive evidence, as in, okay, Matthew, do you agree that if somebody did receive conclusive evidence and they rejected it out of arrogance or whatever other reason, they suppressed the truth, then that person can, in principle, be accountable? Well, accountable, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the picture. What the punishment would be, but accountable, yeah. yeah. Fine, fine. Yeah. So that's right. the picture we're proposing. We're not saying that every homeless okay. person in the world who hasn't actually seen the evidence, hasn't been presented with it, is going to burn in hell for an eternity. We're seeing people. It doesn't who answer the question the of, of why he doesn't appear in front of me right now. Well, can, why, can can I, why do you let, want that? Uh, yeah, go I, ahead. Yeah, since Matt quoted uh, scripture, I want to quote a scripture. So in chapter 6, uh, verse 111, this is what the Quran says, and you can reject it, but this is our position. Allah says, if we had sent down to them angels and the dead had spoken to them, and even if we had gathered everything before them face to face, still they would not believe. So, I mean... <laughs> This is a very important verse. But, but this is the uh, point, though. Matt, 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 let me just oh, let yeah. me just make one. I just read it. Hey, and I just want to make what, what my point of it saying is, is that this may maybe not for you, maybe for somebody else. We don't know if this verse of the Quran is directly speaking to you in this case. But the author of the Quran is saying that there are certain people, no matter what God did or matter what people did for that person. They wouldn't believe. They would just arrogantly stick their head in the sand. And me, from my experience with certain people, I find that to be convincing because that's my experience with certain atheists. So, the implication you know, you there, though, is that we have free will, uh, so that, that yeah, they can well, present us the evidence. That. But, 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 so what? What do you? What is your take on Quran two six through two twelve? Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry, Matthew. Before we jump on to free will discussion, yeah. Um, you made it came across as though you made two arguments. Yeah, the first argument, which is what Abdul mentioned, which is saying that uh, God created you, God wants you to worship, God doesn't reveal Himself to you, and God punishes you, and therefore it's unjust. So now Abdul said, in response to that, he said, Yeah, but God's not going to punish you unless uh, explicit evidence is given to you. 
So it's not unjust because you're not going to get punished. No, no, no. Yeah, but you're missing the next point. He wants to be worshipped, but he's not giving me the evidence. And then the, the next question is why? Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not. No, no. There's two. That's why I said there's two arguments. Okay. One They're interrelated. Argument, no, but you have to separate them. Otherwise, they, okay, go they ahead. Become, so I'm saying the first argument say that it's unjust doesn't fit the Islamic paradigm. You agree with that? You're not going to get punished. I, I, a, I don't a, agree with a, that because I believe... A, in... a person is not going to get punished if the evidence is not shown to him. Uh, if that's true, then that's fine. Yes. Right. So well, that's, that's what we believe. Second one, the second one, the second argument that you're using, which is to say that God should show himself to us if God wants us to believe. Yeah? So God wants us to believe and God wants us to use our reason and look at the signs of creation to come to that conclusion. He showed, he sent one emissary, or if you believe in all of them because you're Muslim, Hundred, several we, thousands of years 000, ago to one part of the world. That's the best he can do we to believe evidence in, himself? We believe, we believe in 124,000. It's been 1,400 years. Right. But that's not the point. The point here is this. It this is. is what, listen to what I said. I said, God wants us to believe in him through looking at the signs of creation, yeah, which is the universe, what we sense, and come to the conclusion that God exists. Well, so let's get into that. So first of all, I believe in the disteleological argument. That's the number one reason I'm an atheist. If I could pick one, one argument why I'm strong atheist, it's a disteleological argument. I see no evidence of creation. I see evidence of non-creation. I see evidence of chaos and nature running its course. But putting that aside... We can, uh, we can talk... Yeah, putting that to the side. The argument, we're, not, we're, not, we're not presenting an argument for why God exists. What I'm saying is that you're presenting an argument of saying God wants this, but he's not doing this. And I'm saying God wants this, and he wants you to do this. And if you're not going to do this, therefore, you're, you know, that's, that's on you. But the 1,400 years ago, all of these mental gymnastics and argument are not how Muslims were converted into Muslims. They were converted yeah, to God were. interacting with the universe and they were. miracles and things like that. No, 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 no. Sending no, winged horses down. I'll give, you an no. I'll give you an humanity. example. I'll give, I'll give you an example, Matthew. And no, nobody converted because of the winged horse or anything like that, by the way. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, one Bedouin, uh, he, he didn't believe in God. And he spoke to some of the companions around the Prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, and they wouldn't be able to convince him. And so when the Prophet, peace be upon him, spoke to him, he said two words. And then he accepted belief in one God. And he gave him basically a form of contingency argument he said if you were to see footprints in the sand what would you what would this indicate and he said well this would indicate a traveler that's gone by and then he said well look at the universe look at the heavens look at the stars does that not indicate that these things exist and therefore they are contingent finite beings that follow uh, behaviors and laws and therefore requires a creator yeah and so he accepted that argument. Similarly, in the Quran, in Surah An'am, uh, chapter 6, it gives the example of Abraham, Ibrahim alayhi salam, in which Abraham, he looked at the, the star that was worshipped, and he saw it rise, and he saw it set, and he said, well, you know, that can't be God. And then he looked at the moon, and he saw it rise, and he saw it set, and he said, well, that can't be God. And I'm paraphrasing, by the way. And then he saw the sun, and he said, well, this is greater than the other two. He saw it rise, and he saw it set. And then as soon as he saw it set, he... he he relinquished belief in any of these celestial bodies because he wanted to believe in the one that created and ordained these celestial bodies, i.e. the creator, i.e. something that's not bound by laws yeah, or patterns of behavior or being contingent or dependent. 
So these are the arguments that were used within the Quran. Many, many verses, in fact, dozens of verses that talk to us and tells us to use our mind to look at creation or look at reality. And from looking at reality, come to the conclusion that there is a creator. Are you suggesting that no Muslims converted because of the proposed miracles of Muhammad? No, I'm saying about belief in one God. I'm saying belief in one God. Numerous verses within the Quran indicate to us to look at the signs of the universe, what we see within the universe, to come to the conclusion. For example, in fi khalqi samawati wal arad, indeed in the creation of the heavens and the earth, and in the alternations of the night and day, li ayati lil albab. These are signs for people of death or people of thinking. Yeah. So what what's what's the Quran telling us? So he's saying. Indeed, in the creation of the heavens and the earth, meaning what we see around us, in the changes that we see yeah, between night and day, and the changes in other celestial objects, that these, if you think about them deeply, are signs for the existence of the Creator. This is what the Qur'an orders us to do, to think, to contemplate. The Qur'an and Hadith list miracles done by the Prophet Muhammad. Uh, let me just let me just say one thing, uh, Sharif. Matt, I do want to yeah. give you a chance to, to to make a final point because yeah. we've got we've got three or four other people yeah. waiting, and we've been yeah. going for three hours. So gotcha. we're, we're going to have to let you go if you want to just make a final comment. Yeah. So I guess I'll use my last minute to just I guess if I if there's enough time to ask about what your views on our Quran two six through two twelve. Um. I mean, because I'm just me very me. curious. It's not even a. I mean, I'll read uh, two. Let's say two six, and it just starts here, and it it repeats similar things each time. Indeed, those who disbelieve, it is all the same for them whether you warn them or do not warn them. They will not believe. Allah has set a seal upon their hearts and upon their hearing, and over their vision is a veil, and for them is a great punishment. Allah has set a seal upon their hearts. Tell me that does not suggest predestination. No. Okay, no, why? Uh, because we don't take the Quran in isolation. What you have to do is you have to read the rest of the Quran, which it explains how that veiling actually takes place. It's not from the beginning of time that Allah just randomly selects people and says, oh, this guy's going to be veiled and the other one's gonna, not going to be veiled. No, it's, it's almost a self-veiling that by arrogantly and persistently denying the signs of the Creator – Eventually, yes, they, they're veiled, and there's nothing you can do for them. That's not what it says. Yeah, but that's, that's what the that's, that's what the that's how it's understood when you actually read the rest of the Quran well, in context. I, I hate to you know make this such a strong point, but isn't that what all theists say about all their holy books? You're misinterpreting it. I'm taking it as in its plain meaning. So Matthew, it says, what, what, Allah has set a seal upon their hearts, not they have set a seal upon their own hearts. So Matthew, what you have to do when when you look at explanation of the Quran, because Quran has its own. Uh, Method well, not only its own methodology, but it explains its methodology, and it, we also understand this from the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Is when you take a particular subject matter, like for example, free will, or you take a subject matter about heaven or hell, or something like this, yeah, you have to take all the verses of Quran, you have to take all those verses, you have to understand those verses in its context together. So sometimes a particular verse in one area talks about one particular aspect, but then he's elaborated another verse in another area. Uh, in greater detail so we can understand that so we understand that these particular verses are not talking about how all human beings have been dis determined whether they're disbelievers or not rather it's simply saying that there are certain people who because of their arrogance and because of their willful desire not to believe 
they have a it's they have a seal set upon their hearts so the causative aspect of this is not that god's causing it for them not to be guided but rather they themselves did not want to be guided yeah can you read verse 10 you just needed to go a few verses later Oh, yes, there is a disease in their hearts, and Allah has intensified this disease. There you go. So the point is, okay, yeah, the point is that that is a consequence of the disease that is in their hearts as a result of their own free choice not to worship God. This This is the theme of God. This is a puppeteer. Yeah, no, but what did you just read? That God has intensified their disease. Precisely. One second. Precisely. So he intensified it. Why? What's the first part of the verse? Because they already had a predisposition. That's, no, no, Nicole, no, see, no. now, now, now okay, you're reading I'll, that. No, no, I'll read literally. No, no, there is no, a disease no, no, no. in their Matthew, hearts, Matthew, and Allah Matthew, has Matthew, intensified this Matthew, disease. Matthew, please let's not let's not play that game. So right I now, you, I was I was so paraphrasing. You said, I, I read no, no, it literally no. now. Okay, one second. Earlier, you said you want to read the Quran for what it is, right? You don't yeah, want to assume yeah. anything. You don't want to add to go, it. Go for right it. now, it. right now, right now, you're bringing the word disposition in there to add that to the mix. I didn't mean to. As if to imply that 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 God caused that disposition in the first place. So either way, whether God increased or intensified the disease in their heart or, or not, He is responsible for the first part of the disease. Let's not add things to the verse because you yourself said you just want to deal with it the text. Matter whether now the text says the, part the, the text says that there is a disease in their heart. The mm-hmm. second part is the punishment. So they are accountable for their free choice of not worshiping God and the disease that they have in of in their heart is of their own action is a consequence of their own action and of their own rejection of God. That's the disease that's in their own heart. The consequence of that is that God intensifies it. That's the punishment. That's not to say that these people would have believed if God didn't intensify the, the, the disease. That is to say that they, of their own actions, are disbelievers. They freely chose to reject God. Therefore, the consequence of that is this punishment that you're reading. No, that's because you're going through seven. Which we, we just read two seven. It says you're Allah not has put a seal upon their hearts. Yes, yes. Allah you're has not put reading. a seal upon their hearts. They have a disease. He increases the disease. You're, you're, okay, you're, you're, you're not reading I'm, in context. We're gonna, we're gonna have to move on. I'm I'm sorry, Matt. I wish we could talk. No, longer, no problem. But, we'll have, we'll have a, Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. All right. Take care. Um. All right. So, so we've got four people waiting. We're gonna go to somebody called Hi. 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 You are live. You have to unmute your mic or... Uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi, how are you yeah. doing? Hi, hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking very silently because it's very late here. Okay, yeah. Me. Yeah, did you have a okay. comment or a question on, on the problem of evil? Just quickly comment on the previous guest. Am I right that Allah views the person... Because the person initially, because the person uh, initially disbelieved, so the feeling is a consequence of him yes. initially rejecting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay. Now moving on to the problem of evil, I'm gonna go back to the original. Sorry, hi, hi, really quickly as well, just so as a point, because it needs to be reemphasized. When you read any text, like for example, when you're reading Quran or any other text, you have to use the tools in the. Uh, the, the understanding of the audience, how they understood the text. What yeah, you can't yeah. do is you can't superimpose our views and then read one verse in isolation yeah, yeah. and think that's how it's done. We know in, in Islam we have something called usul tafsir 
Okay, I'm sure you yeah, know this. I'm just explaining yeah. it so that Matthew can understand it if you're listening. Usul al-Tafsir is principles of ex- exegesis. And one of the principles is that when you take a verse of Quran, the first thing that you do is you look at all the subject area that that particular, or the, all the verses that that particular uh, uh, verses of the Quran discuss that particular subject area, and then you understand the subject area in its uh, totality. What you can't do is take one verse in isolation to the rest of the verses and then try to make uh, explanation of tafsir because then you'll just completely misunderstand the intent and the understanding of the audience, how they understood it as well. Uh, by the yeah, way, I, I hi, just one quick question. Are you an atheist? No, no, I'm a Muslim. Okay. All right, go ahead. I'm a revert, but in the li- like in the little sense. I had apostatized and then... Oh, alhamdulillah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So, and also you guys, of course, helped me, you know, Oh, alhamdulillah. Four months ago. You know. Alhamdulillah. Because I think my pesticide, my pesticide was based on a lot of misconceptions and, and emotions. Alhamdulillah. Which I later on. So, yeah, of, uh, also I heard did, a very good you, analogy did you, about Did uh, you feel icky? Hi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was the ickiness. I was yeah. like, how can God do this? But then I realized. Yeah. It's not, It's my ickiness is fallacious. Basically. Okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, also, I, I recently heard a great analogy for the Tafsir. Like, for example, what is it? The First Amendment, it says, um, like, anybody can carry arms. But this doesn't mean anybody, like, I can doesn't mean I can pull up with the rocket launcher. Even if it says that everybody can carry arms. We, yeah. we got to see how the lawyers, you know, mm-hmm. explain it. Now, my question was um, about the problem of feeble. So, you gave the analogy of a doctor having to... Know, in the plane, but my question was, can God not can God use other means to achieve you know the desired goal, or is it necessary for him to use evil to achieve the said goal? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think uh, I'll let the other guys answer as well, but I was going to say there's different ways of looking at this. Maybe it's the case that uh, the difficulty helps you grow as a human being, yeah, helps you grow as a Muslim. So, you know, you're not going to develop concept of patience and perseverance, sabr, if you don't have difficulty that you have to overcome. That means you have to go through difficulty in order to develop this positive trait called sabr. In the same way, if you want to develop courage, then you have to go through fear because you have to overcome fear. And maybe these are the values that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants with human beings and once with Muslims that they're able to exhibit these akhlaq and adab and these, uh, you know, great uh, properties that a human being should have, these great moral characteristics. But the only way to do that is to go and face the difficulties uh, within life. I think the, the problem I tend, send, tend to sense when it comes to the issue of this whole topic area of difficulties and problems is we need to really put this into maybe context. Whether you believe in God or not, you're going to face difficulties. Animals are going to suffer. Yeah, There's going to be wars. There's going to be tsunamis. There's going to be famine. There's going to be disease. People are going to die. So it doesn't solve any of these problems rejecting God. What it does do is it adds to your problems because now you have no concept of absolute justice. You have no concept of having a being or creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's going to provide you 
with ultimate happiness or is going to reward you for the difficulties that you face or remove the evils and the sins that you may have committed because of the difficulties that you faced in your life. None of these things, if your person is unjust to you or unjust to you, there's no recourse that you have yeah, or an, an atheist would have in order to say, well, if I don't get justice in this life, in the hereafter, I'm going to get justice. What you do, what atheists do is that they try to give this icky arguments for uh, you know, evil or whatever it is, problem of evil, but they don't solve the problem. They actually make it worse. Yeah. Uh, so I think, so just going back to your, your, your particular question, yes, God could create a good without going through this, but it could be the case that God wants you to go through this in order to become a better person, in order to exhibit more characteristics. Yeah. And as, as I understood, it, you know, for us to get those values, which he wants, you, uh, you know, it necessitates us going to pain and suffering. Yeah, and 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 just that's one possible argument. And like I said, the other argument uh, or the other point angle to look at this is that atheism literally solves nothing for a human for the human condition. It makes yeah, yeah. our position even worse. Can you imagine yeah. an atheist who loses a child and knows that he'll never see that child again, or an an atheist? who goes through, you know, life-changing illness, you know, and struggles for the rest of his life and thinks, this is it, yeah. this is all I'm going to have. I mean, yeah. without even, like, a person going through this, I remember when I was, you know, in apostate, even if I hadn't got to bad stuff, just the mere possibility of me going to those stuff is enough to completely, you know, be a bigger problem than, than theism. Yeah. Uh, possibility. Yeah, and brother, just the point here is this, is that, you know, in the West, which is very secular, there's massive endemic problems with mental health. You know, now part of it is because there's people diagnosing mental health more and it's more acceptable. But part of it is because of the lifestyles that we live, one. And secondly, is because there are none of these mechanisms that contextualize problems. Like, for example, the Prophet wasallam said, stranger the affairs of the believer when something afflicts when something good happens to him he's thankful to allah and when something afflicts him and he remains patient then allah will reward him yeah so no matter what he does all his affairs are good so he has that very unique perspective that yes we face difficulties yes i'm gonna i don't like facing difficulties but i know there's something greater there's something permanent yeah and that permanency is what allows me to overcome gives me that moral fortitude and psychological characteristics to overcome the difficulties that I face. If you take away that, then what do you have? You have nihilism. Yeah, you have the moral indifference of the universe. You have the fact that I just happened to be born in this particular environment, facing these particular difficulties. And is it really worth living my life in this particular way? And some people say no, or some people they need antidepressants or and uh, anti-anxiety medications, things like this, yeah. Yeah, and also when it comes to nihilism, I see a lot of people, they, they accept nihilism, but then they actually contradict themselves by, you know, by acting inconsistently and saying, okay, I accept nihilism, but, you know, my meaning is to accept it, or accept nihilism is what gives value, or life is worth living just for the sake which is completely contradictory with nihilism you cannot you know it's just 
you can only resort to escape sim at that point, which won't help because we have the fifth threat to, you know, to, because we have the fifth threat, which doesn't allow us to completely escape. Yeah. These yeah. No, agreed. definitely. I, I think, the, yeah. yeah, just as a final point, I, uh, to yourself, because we're going to have to move on. Uh, the, the innate disposition of human beings is that we desire meaning. Nihilism doesn't give that. And so nihilists themselves have to live the life with this illusion that there is a meaning to their life. Yeah, I, I want to just say something before before you leave. Uh, um, uh, assalamu alaikum, uh, as opposed to hi. That uh, and, and to answer your question, right about whether evil was necessary. You see, you see, it it couldn't be the case that anything God created doesn't have a purpose, right? So there's no such thing from the Islamic perspective as gratuitous evil. Even if there is some, if it's something that you think doesn't have a point, well, you're not omniscient. There are going to be things that you don't know the purpose for. And and listen to this verse. It's in Surah Al-An'am, Surah number 6, verse 59. وَيَعْلَمُ and with him are the keys of the unseen. None knows them but he, and he knows what is in the land and the sea. Not even a leaf falls, but he knows it. There is not a grain in the darkness of the earth, nor anything wet or dry in it, but in the Kitabul Mubin, in a luminous book. Now, a leaf falling might seem like something that is just completely random and purposeless. A random leaf falling in the middle of a forest, right, might seem completely random, might seem completely pointless. But he's telling you that even that, and even, you know, a, a tiny piece of grain in the middle of the darkest depths of, of the earth is in the book of Allah and has a purpose. So there is no such thing as anything that is purposeless, let alone the suffering of a, 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 a conscious being. Right, Allah knows of 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 uh, if Allah knows of a leaf that is falling in the middle of nowhere in the middle of, of of the Amazon, then He certainly knows of any specific animal that is suffering. And He mentioned this all over the Quran that it is He who provides for you know uh, every living creature, including animals. So yeah, there is no such thing as gratuitous evil, and every single evil that was created. Or every single uh, you know amount of suffering that was created—I don't know if you want to necessarily call that evil—has a purpose and is not gratuitous. So, so you need to just know that and just get it out of the way. Yeah, I know that. My question was just: Was it necessary for God to, you know, to it's, achieve? It's not about whether it's necessary. It's a. It has a purpose. So, if if something has a purpose, if X achieves Y, and in order to achieve Y, you need to do X. Then yes, so God had a purpose for creating X. X is yeah. whatever suffering you want to describe. So yes, so given that this suffering yeah, yeah. Uh, has a purpose, yes, it was needed in order to a uh, achieve whatever goal God has. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, until next time, assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum. Okay, so we're gonna go. We've got two more. Guests, I'm going to go to Ashraf. Assalamu alaikum. Um, alaikum uh, um, Thank you for having me. Uh, I really appreciate your guys' work. 
I was listening to a good majority of the live stream and I was trying to understand the, I'm Muslim. I'm trying to understand the, uh, just the strongest argument that, uh, the, uh, the other side was able to represent. I, I don't really know, uh, what argument they have in terms of like how strong the problem of evil can be. And then I also, um, I wanted to ask about sort of like, the suffering uh, that innocence would experience in, in, uh, you know, dunya, uh, that is something that isn't, let's say somebody uh, like a baby gets sick or something like that. Um, just evil that exists or uh, just uh, tragedy. Um, how, how is that? Um, it, it doesn't, I'm not saying that it eliminates God or anything, but I'm saying uh, how is that kind of uh, redeemed or, how do we make sense of uh, suffering? I guess you would say just like from a perspective a Muslim perspective. So I, those two questions I wanted to ask. Abdu, did you want to answer that? Do you want me to answer? Um, sh- um, sure. So, um, yeah, so I think we touched upon this. You're, you're asking about innocent suffering, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and children are a good example, but I mean, um, I, I, Let's let's just say you're talking about natural evil, right? So there's there's moral evil. Let's say somebody murdering, uh, uh, you know, an innocent person. You could say that's because of their free will, but natural uh, evil, maybe you can't say that. Uh, but but um, first of all, I think you can because we we have scriptural evidence and rational evidence. These arguments are made by philosophers that even natural evil can be. A result of human free will and human acts. Allah says ظهر الفساد في البر والبحر بما كسبت أيدي الناس that you know uh, um, destruction has appeared uh, in the sea and on the land because of people's acts or people's actions. So there can be an argument for uh, you know how uh, uh, even what seems to be natural evil is caused by humans and 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 this 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 is. Uh, we even have like empirical evidence for this that you know certain human activity can lead to certain uh, natural uh, disasters. Uh, as for as for um, children suffering or animal suffering, right? So so I mean animal, animal suffering is more challenging because for for the children, you could say that they get an eternity in heaven, right? So that eternity in heaven, we know through through a hadith, right? That that um, that people in heaven will be asked if they've ever experienced suffering in their life. And they will swear by the name of God that no, they have never experienced suffering in their life, nor do they know what it is. Uh, and that is not to belittle the suffering of, of, of uh, you know, children or animals, but it, it is to say that, uh, that at least for the children, at least for the children, it's, it's, it's less challenging because there is that, you know, eternal heaven. But then it's it's not like the suffering itself, if you look at it, like it uh, has to be looked at as some kind of an intrinsic evil. Because as I just mentioned to the previous caller, everything that happens is there for a purpose. And God is the provider, right? So he will take care of those who are suffering. He, right. he, he, he does care for them. And nobody is going to just suffer gratuitously without purpose. You can know the purpose sometimes, sometimes you can't, but we know for a fact that nobody suffers without purpose. Mm -hmm. Some people suffer deservedly, some people 
suffer for other purposes and god you know looks after all he is the provider uh, uh, so 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 i think from from the islamic perspective it's just uh, uh, I mean, there's no, there, there's no, it's, it's not, it's not a problem whatsoever. But I mean, from the atheist perspective, when making the evidential argument, they can say that you know, uh, um, God could have made, uh, made it, you know, the case that there is less suffering, that there is at least maybe one less child suffering, or one less animal, or that an animal suffers for you know a less amount of time before it dies, right? Mm -hmm. And and this is basically a discussion we've been having the whole stream, right? So there are responses to these arguments right first of all about whether it is justified to infer uh from the proposition that uh, that that the suffering is apparently gratuitous that it is actually gratuitous that it is likely that there is no purpose for the suffering whether that inference is justified and we think that in many cases it is not because uh, uh, uh basically you 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 don't have access to what you know things would look like if the suffering uh, weren't to be gratuitous right and uh, there is a uh, of course you could conceive of of, of worlds and caleb mentioned this when he was on the call where animals just you know vanish out of existence and whatnot but i think like you know speaking practically within the natural world that we exist in it it, it just seems to be the case that there if there is an all-powerful god in control of everything then there's a lot of things that we're not going to know and like the number yeah. of uh, children and animals often seems a lot from your perspective but it's, yeah. i mean i mean it, it, it's not a lot from god's perspective because he takes care of each and every one individually and i remember uh, a, a, an interesting quote from c.s lewis i'll paraphrase that says that we shouldn't speak of collective suffering at all as if it's a thing because no one suffers it and, and literally that's true. I mean, so nobody suffers all the suffering that's in the world, right? So, so um, th th then on the other side, apart from the defenses you can provide in critiquing the argument, you can provide theodicies for why suffering exists, that right? you can provide reasons for why it is better for evil to exist than for, you know, us to be just in this eternal state of, of, of bliss, you know, without having gone through any notion of suffering whatsoever so um yeah so there are many responses from many different angles and mm -hmm. uh, and and i advise you to re-watch the stream because it was it was uh, it was addressed in much more detail than what i just provided okay now i understand what you're saying it makes sense um there's also this hadith that i heard of that says that uh, there's going to be someone uh who who have basically lived a, a blissful life in the dunya and then Allah's going to put him in hell for like a second or something. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And he, when he's going to, uh, after that, Allah's going to take him out and he's going to ask him, uh, have you ever exper experienced any kind of bliss? Any, I think it's, a, it's the same hadith. It's just the, the completion of the, yes. the hadith I just mentioned. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, but, but then you see, yeah, but that's the person in hell and, and what, what you want to assume, I guess, is that the person who's in hell is, is uh, is justly in hell like you know he's been he deserves to be in hell right so 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 yes so so the idea uh it depends on what argument you're making really because you can talk, if you're making an argument if, if the problem you're concerned with is the problem of hell then that's a different story uh mm -hmm. but but yeah so the idea is 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 that i mean in that hadith specifically you realize that what we experience in this life is is is, is literally you know 
uh, is practically non-existent in comparison to the eternal afterlife. I mean, you could you could even make right. a you can make a mathematical <laughs> demonstration of that basically. And I, I've seen I've seen Michael Jones speak about this in, in one of his discussions as well, uh, where he mentioned uh, dreams. Right? How when when you have a dream, right, and then you wake up from the dream, right. and then it's just suddenly gone you know it seems like it was like a fraction of a second or practically non-existent and right. we have reference to this in the quran that people when they are resurrected on the day of judgment they will be asked mm -hmm. how long they've 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 uh, they were uh, you know on earth or in the, in this dunya and they will some of them will respond like you know a couple of hours or a day so so it, it basically feels like a dream and, and the prophet said anasuniyam that people are sleeping, um, uh, and and if they if they die, they're awakened. So there are there there are analogies to that within the text. So so uh, so it, it seems like it is a case that hadith we just mentioned about about you know the either the suffering or the uh, sure. pleasure being ne negligible you know in both heaven and hell. Uh, it, there there is there is there, you you can use that in in your response to uh, the problem of evil because it seems like. Uh, first of all, it, the suffering has a purpose, and second of all, uh, the suffering will be almost as if it, you know, didn't exist for those who will end up in heaven. Right. I mean, it did exist, but it, it, it's more. It's more like I guess you would say uh, a, a, a reality. It's a, Night, it's, a, a nightmare. it's not just a dream. It's a reality, right? Allah can create, make it real. He's the only one able to do that, and um, because of that. It does. It's like a dream that counts, I guess you would say, towards the true life you're going to be living, which is either with God or away from God in hell. So, yeah. Um, yeah so I just kind of wanted to, to to get a good understanding of that. And I just mainly, um, you know, about like what is what is the strongest argument on the atheist or the non-Muslim side uh, about like with the problem, like I didn't really hear anything that's convincing, I guess, from the, the, the evidential, you know? the, the evidential problem of evil in it's different forms. Like when you talk about animal suffering or problem of hell, uh, it's challenging. It requires a response. And I believe we, we've, we've uh, gave an overview of what a response to these arguments would look like uh, throughout this stream. Right. So, so I, I think the strongest case they can make is when their conclusion is modest. When they say that the, the, this, the existence of, you know what seems to be gratuitous suffering in the world at least gives us reason to disbelieve in the existence of an all-loving god mm. and in, in certain contexts you might even want to grant that that you know if you look at it in a vacuum fine uh, uh but then uh, uh um it's just going to depend on the formulation of the argument you're dealing with and uh, apart from you know the the idea that you can make a, a cumulative case and just you know the argument won't really do much work for the theist, the argument itself can be attacked. Right? So so the, the 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 epistemic limitations of humans. So when you appeal to skeptical theism and and, and certain theodicies, there are good responses back and forth. And uh, I, I do believe it is the strongest argument on the atheist side, but it's not going to do much work for the theists. I, and I think the atheists the the arguments that. Uh, theists have against uh, naturalism, let's say, or materialism, are actual defeaters for their position. So they're not just reasons to disbelieve in in uh, in, in materialism or naturalism or non-theism. They're actually, I think, I think there are actual defeaters, uh, uh, you know, on the theist side. Okay, yeah, uh, but like, what specifically in that problem of evil, that evidential argument you're saying, 
what specifically negates God's existence? Is it just because suffering exists or because if we're yeah, doing... it's that it's that you know it's that hey, I experience evil, so you know what you know maybe whoever created the world doesn't really care about me, right? It's it's, it's right it's, or is evil it, or it something gives me reason or is evil or something? Yeah, right, right, okay, yeah. okay, I understand. Right. I mean, and our, I guess you would say another just one more response to the. Islamic, uh, from the Islamic perspective, is that uh, God created angels, right? Without, uh, I guess you would say, the free will we have, right? They have to f- follow Allah's command and everything. While He created us, right, with a specific test in mind to see the quality of our character, of our souls, and stuff. Um, it, 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 to see uh, as people, as as beings that are gifted with understanding of what is going to be, what is right, what is wrong. And, and being able to comprehend what Allah, uh, you know, brought down through the messenger and stuff. Um, he, he, it's there for us as a test. And if he wanted to, he could have just, if he didn't want us to have this test, if, you know, from the Islamic perspective, I just, I guess I don't see a, a problem with the problem of evil because it's a test if, at the end of the day, he could have just created angels if he didn't want to put us through this, you know, and it's so we can freely go to him and submit our souls submitting to him yeah we agree Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have to move on though brother because we've got one one more guest and we've been going three and a half hours um but appreciate you coming on and uh asking questions and and giving your thoughts really do appreciate it okay thank you all right salam alaikum brother so we've got one last person here happiness to you welcome uh, can you hear me, guys? Yes, we can. Yeah, thanks for taking on. I won't take much of the time. The problem of evil with respect to you know imaginary God is that the word evil is a subjective one. So what you call evil, but the right word will be the suffering. Sorry, yeah, the suffering and pain. But the main thing, the problem is what I see is that is the for the theist is that you want to have your cake and eat it too. On one side, you'll say that it is all loving, and yet there is a suffering. But just now, you guys said that the suffering is just for a few minutes, and you will be having eternal happiness. If that is the case, there is no logical reason to give suffering, to enjoy or appreciate happiness. Because what you're making is a subjective argument. There's no logical necessity to have a suffering before happiness. Okay, no one yeah. goes, I don't, no. I don't go no, and no, burn no, my no, hand. No, 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 let, no me complete, let me complete. No one, I don't go and burn my hand, then enjoy an apple or an enjoy an ice cream. No. Yeah, so it, no one made that argument. Yeah, no one said that it's necessary to suffer in order to experience happiness. I don't no, know where you're getting it from. See, if it is not necessary, then it is by choice. If it yeah, is God by choice. God this world. So, yes. Now, if there is a choice, then there is has to be a reason behind that, and that reason can only be malice, because why? Suffering, why? Why suffering, is it only malice? Why okay, is it only suffering malice? Suffering is not caused by malice. If you have a child, or if you're eighteen year old or seventeen year old, go and punch his teeth. He it will cause uh, pain, but there is a reason behind it. But Happiness. it's not malice. It's out of love. So see, it's a yeah. contradiction. It's a basic contradiction. Why are you saying that it has to be malice? Do you have an argument for it? Water. Is it love? We, we have to do elimination. Is it love? 
happiness. Why not? Why, why can't it be for your happiness? So punching causes happiness? Or is it causing it, it suffering? Could, it, could and it could eventually. It eventually, but does it now? We're talking about yes. suffering. What yes. happens later, yes. it might suffering, not happen. Suffering, yes. Suffering, an outcome of suffering can be good. Is it always? Is it logically contingent or Why not? required? Why not? Hmm? Why not? No, no, you have to provide why it is. No, 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 you're, no. You're, you're providing an argument. You said that it necessarily is malice. So you're the one that has to provide an argument for it. But you can't. And that's what happens with all the atheists that come on Who here. Who said it can't? Let, let me, let I, me, I, I told you. You can't. You can't have happiness. You can't happiness. This is what happens with all the atheists that come on here. They make assertions. We ask to provide arguments for I'm the fundamental. Let me finish. We ask to provide arguments for the fundamental assumptions. You can't. You just restate the yeah, same principle. Then we ask for it again. And then you redo the same thing. And it just happens over and over and over and over again. And it's a vicious circle. And to be quite frank, I'm a bit annoyed because we've been going on three and a half hours. So I'll tell you this. I'm going to give you two chances. I'm going to give you two more chances. And then we're going to end the show. So you give me an argument for why... What the suffering that you say that you experience in the world necessarily is based on malice. So go ahead. Because here you claim that God is all powerful. That means there is no limitation on, on him as me. That means he made a choice to cause pain. And choice to cause pain, pain if it is good, then you should have pain in your heaven. But you don't. You have happiness. So that means you call it is mercy. Now, if uh, happiness is mercy, then pain has to be his anger, malice, call whatever. And if he, that's it. So that's a very simple. So, so your argument, you're, so you're, no, no, it's not. So your argument is because there's no pain in heaven and there's happiness. Therefore, we don't need pain in the universe. That's your argument. No, 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 no. You didn't understand. I said. If the reward you're going to get is happiness in heaven. Now that reward is given out of mercy or is it given out of malice? So let no, me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Whoa, you've, you're... That, yeah, that's his mercy. That is completely okay. You're, you're, you sound like a robot, dude. You sound like a robot, dude. Causes pain and suffering. Even though, and the important point happiness. is this. You're, you're breaking that up really badly. This entity, God, which does not have any limitations to cause. Can I you hear me, sir? Because there's a limitation on me. But Can he doesn't have any limitation. But he chooses to cause suffering. Happiness. So, okay, you're you're out of here. Sorry, sir. You, you're either no, either there's a problem with your connection, or you or you're just ignoring me. I don't know, but sorry to tell you, I don't have time for that now. <laughs> Next, there's there's one last person here waiting. But your devices are not connected, and you just left. Okay, so you're you're out of here as well. So that's it, guys. We don't have anybody else here waiting. Um, I want to thank the audience for watching and staying with us for almost four hours. We've been going on here now for a long time. Um, definitely want to thank Dr. Saf for coming on, uh, trying to break down the problem of evil with us. 
explain the different perspectives. You have the logical uh, problem of evil, the evidential one. What are the responses to both of them from an Islamic paradigm? We went into all those details. We dealt with Pine, uh, Pine Creek and a few other atheists. And I think what you guys can see, what it comes down to is there's no logical argument. It's based at the end of the day on the fundamental presupposition or assumption about either the nature of evil, the nature of good, what God should and shouldn't do, possible worlds, and which one's better. And then when we ask for logical justifications, say, oh, well, we're just really appealing to emotions. So I think it was a good stream. I'm, I'm disappointed. I wish the atheists would come with a little bit something better than that, but I think it was beneficial. I don't know if you guys have any final comments before uh, we wrap it up and, and send the outro. I think, yeah, uh, I think, I think, Jake, you just want to go, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had enough. I had enough. <laughs> no, I, I think, enough. yeah, I appreciate some of the comments and some of the questions that people were asking. I think the yeah. problem is this is. I, I, I mean, if, if I were to going to give a problem of evil, what I would give <laughs> is the problem of evil that I would launch that I think would be most powerful is trying to listen to an atheist explain the problem of evil that's one of the most evil things i've i've, I've come across <laughs> and by four hours after of, of listening to that yes it is pretty torturous i'm wondering why god has put me through this and i have to end the stream <laughs> i honestly feel i honestly feel your pain jake because a lot of these guys who come on like this brother just came on it's 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 not like it's difficult to prepare for these discussions. Like literally, while you're waiting there, you guys have been waiting there for an hour. You could just you know do a bit of research and you know present a logical form of the argument or try to present a decent defense of your premises, so that when you come on and make assertions and we ask you to back your assertions by arguments or by evidence, you're ready with answers. But it seems like, as Jake just put it, it just all goes in circles and we ask for the evidence, we ask for an argument. You say you're making a logical argument, the logical argument doesn't work, jump to an argument from emotion. So it's just, it is a bit frustrating. And we know that there are atheist arguments that are more sophisticated than this. I think we're just frustrated that it that hasn't been the case on this call. Yeah, I so. think we tried to present some of those sophisticated yeah. arguments at the beginning of the stream as well. Yeah, we yeah. did it better than they could in the beginning yeah. of the stream. I, I that's, think, that's I think what I was going to say is just as advice to atheists is they get hung up in this like very abstract way of looking at the problem of evil and God. What they need to, I think going back to my point that I mentioned to that brother High before, is they need to really think about it. You're living in a life which you're going to face difficulty anyway. Now, either you're going to add to your difficulty and problems by denying God, uh, which doesn't really work, or you're going to look at the arguments for God, and then that helps you contextualize the difficulties that you face. And then any of these various arguments that they try to present for you know the problem of evil there are always going to be responses that we can give as theists and particularly as muslims because we don't believe this world is meant to be perfect we do believe that there was meant to be difficulties in this world because it is a test that's the reality of this life now you may like it you may not like it that's irrespective the fact remains is that you know you have to be sincere based upon the ideas and arguments that you need to follow 
uh, irrespective yeah. and overcome your feelings and emotions. Yeah, and it just establishes what I've experienced, over, the, especially over the past year in dealing with atheists. More and more I talk to them, I realize that it's an emotional, psychological issue, something they don't like, something they feel icky about, and then they want us to feel icky about it as well. It's not an actual logical or intellectual problem. I'm not saying that some people don't have that, but for the most part, this is what I experienced. And Mr. 22 here, you're waiting. I told you that your device is not connected. So I literally cannot bring you on the stream unless your mic and camera are connected. I can't bring you on the stream. So I'm going to kick you out again for, for the second time. And maybe next uh, show, when you call in, you get that figured out. Because unless you guys, unless your mic and your camera are connected, now you can shut your camera off. But unless it's connected on your device, we literally cannot bring you on StreamYard. So I'm sorry about that. But you'll you'll have to get that settled before you call in next time. Um, uh, Italian stallion. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, guys. Uh, I do just want to extend one last time appreciation for Dr. Saf coming on. Appreciate all you guys for watching and your support. All those who became members today, uh, we really do appreciate that. It helps us out uh, greatly. And all the super chats as well. So uh, may Allah reward you guys for your continued support of, of TAP here. But uh, with that being said, guys, I don't know if we have any announcements about the next show, do we want to say anything about that, or we'll hold off? We'll we'll hold off. Okay, so we'll we'll let you guys know what the next episode is going to be about. Uh, look out for that on Twitter and the YouTube channel. We'll probably put up a community post about that. But once again, guys, thanks for watching. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yeah,